Recorded in the comfy confines of the Auto Media Group Studios, we bring you the Get Deep Podcast, part of the Connect Podcast Network. Join friends and business owners Aaron Jones and Wes Otto as they bring forth stories of guests who are movers and shakers in their industries and beyond. We're live. Welcome to the Get Deep Podcast tonight. We are super excited that you've tuned in and that you're listening or watching, hopefully both, not while you're driving, because that'd be weird, but we are on the podcast tonight with Brad Connors. Super, super excited to have you on. He is Thank the you. CEO of iWealth and has been uh, with that particular company for, company for 25 years. Yeah, I mean, in the business for just about 30 West, so it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, Aaron, I'll get that straight. You'll get it straight. The we, more I drink, the better off I'll be. We so. look similar, so it does, <laughs> right. it throws it off a little bit. <laughs> Huh. He's got a little more chest hair than I do, but that otherwise we're about the same. Right, so. right, yeah. It's about right. <laughs> Very close. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us on the Get Deep podcast tonight. I know the first time that I met Brad Connors was just recently, not too long ago. I was over at Matt Weekman's house, Mega Matt. We had to record some videos for the Blingo event, which is a cancer benefit for the Jay-Z uh, Cancer Fund. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I was over there recording a video about my personal story with my father and his cancer journey. And uh, as I was walking out, Matt said, hey, you got a, you got a second? You got a minute? I, got a, I want you to meet somebody. So I stepped into the kitchen of his beautiful home uh, right down here by Turtlelot. And uh, he introduces me to Brad Connors and shook his hand. We chatted for a few minutes in there, found out he was a, a good Jay Long's client. Appreciate that. <laughs> you bet. Love um, that place. Yeah, yeah, thank you. And um, and then I left with a book called Fish Don't Clap. And I was like, okay, this is cool. This is, this is neat. It's yeah. pretty thin, which I appreciated because I don't read so good. Right. And <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I can read okay. I just, you know, big books scare me. Right. So, um, but anyways, I was inspired by that story and inspired by your story once I got to know you, yeah, a little bit who you were. So, yeah. um, hence why we invited you on the the podcast to tell your story. So. Oh, it's awesome. And I got to hear your story when I went to that Blingo Bingo event. And uh, it's just a, it's an amazing event. I don't know what they raised this year. I don't know if you heard the dollar amount. I didn't ask Matt. I think 95, wow. perhaps. Wow, for a second year too. Yeah. yeah. I, she read, uh, Maureen Gustafson wrote yeah. a thank you. And I, I think it was a 95. Yeah. So Doesn't Maureen do an awesome job? She's uh, she's yeah. a character. She oh does my God. do wonderful. Yeah, she, yeah. she is something else. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I've been, been friends with, with Mega Matt for years. And I remember the first time I talked to him, um, he had did a commercial for First National Bank over in Waseca, and I was in their investment office. And, uh, and I called him, and uh, I said, why should I, do, you know, why should I do a commercial? I can do this billboard outside of town. And he said, well, you shouldn't do either of them. And I'm like, okay, this is interesting. Like, where the, where the hell is he going with this, you know? And uh, he said, we should meet. And so we did. And we sat down and he's like, you need to, and this was whatever, 15, 16 years ago. And you'll appreciate this, Wes. It was like this slider video on your website where you had, you know, eight different two minute clips, little nuggets on there about taxes and investments and stuff like that. He's like, this is what you should do. And then we storyboarded it out and whatever. And he sold me on the concept, but, um, you know, remained friends with them. And I think the biggest thing is you just he pushes me out of my, my comfort zone. He's, you know, he's a little bit out there and not willing to, or not willing, he's willing to take a risk and talk to anybody, 
about anything. And uh, I tend to be a little bit more reserved. So I think that's why we kind of connect on that standpoint. He pushes a little bit. But um, anyway, it was really cool to run and do that day, too. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I uh, I look at things as meant to be meetings yeah. a lot of times. So yeah. uh, like I said, I've been inspired by your story and um, the podcast that you and Matt have. We'll get into that a little bit sure. down the road uh, and chat about that, too. So um, but it's awesome. But let's let's get your story. Let's let's figure out where Brad Connors comes from what the history is. I call it the origin story. Yeah. Um, so if you want to dive into that, I know there's a pretty you know, traumatic story in your background. too. Yeah. So. It's, it's interesting. You probably had watched the story that I put together. I mean, I, I totally agree with the story concept. I mean, people connect and, and I think from a marketing standpoint, I think people will, people will introduce you to somebody based upon their story. They're not going to say, Oh, you need to talk to Brad. He's so smart and good at investments. It's you need to talk to Brad because he's been married to his high school sweetheart for 26 years and you should meet his daughter and his son and that, you know, it's that story piece. Um, And so I share that and it's on my email signature. But, you know, my story really starts at the age of two. I was in a uh, severe car accident and had a collapsed lung. And as a result of that, um, I lost my father that day. And, And what I mean by that is that I never I still don't know to this day who my father is. My mother was married at the time. And I remember at four years old walking in the courthouse saying, I want him to be my dad. And it's Craig. And he is my dad uh, to this day. And so, um, but yeah, very, very tragic. And as a result, I had a, of that car accident, there was an insurance settlement. Again, I'm two years old. So, you know, I just worked on one of these for a client in the cities last week. And you can't, you can't just give a two-year-old a bucket of money. It has to be a court ordered and put somewheres, and this is back in the 70s and 80s, and it got put on interest, and if you guys understand the interest rate of market, and we're kind of going there a little bit, but, you know, we had 15 16% interest, and so that money grew quite a bit over time, and so no access until I was 18, knowing that it was going to be there, and um, along that way, I remember my first job at 14. My first job was working at a fish market in Waterville, and so I had an uncle that bought, it was Merton's Fish Market, changed it to Wilma's Fish Market. And uh, Walt and Earl were two old retired guys that would skin bullheads. And so my uncle buys this, puts up a body shop. He's like, Brad, I need someone to run this. So at 14, I agreed to work for 500 bucks a month for three months, six days a week. I'd ride my bike there, be there around 7.30 in the morning and leave at six o'clock at night. And uh, yes, he, got, he took advantage of me as far as, <laughs> as far as getting paid. But I really learned what it was like to, I think my entrepreneurial kind of spirit was built that summer from the standpoint of, you know, setting up the tackle so it could be sold and bait and things like that. But what would happen is Camp Dells is right there. And so a lot of these, a lot of these people would come up from Iowa and the campgrounds and they'd go fish bullheads. And Waterville's the bullhead capital of the world. And so they would bring in 100, 200, 300 at a time. And then Walt and Earl would skin them, and I would clean them and freeze them, and then they'd come back at the end of the week and take their 800 bullheads home. And that was the business, and it was selling some bait and things along the way too. What does one do with 800 bullheads? Good question. It must be a hell of a party back in Iowa <laughs> yeah, when they get right. back there, huh? I mean, yeah. They're feeding the whole village. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know if you guys ever been to bullhead days, but they still still serve bullheads in the bullhead stand. I work it on Friday nights. I have a buddy that owns Is it. Is it good? Actually, actually, they are pretty good. But get this. So it's now seven bucks. So you get you get a basket with a piece of Wonder Bread full of butter, slab of butter on it. 
Okay. And you get three bullheads that are deep fried in it. And it's like seven bucks for that. <laughs> and I'm good for the year after I have it. And they're not bad. <laughs> but there's bones and all the other kind of Aren't stuff. Are they considered it. like a dirtier kind of fish? No, I don't think so. It's kind oh. of in the catfish line of, yeah, line of things. Yeah, catfish are yeah. considered dirty fish, though. Oh, I don't they're know. Well, I suppose feeders. if you're always eating walleye, it is I mean, a dirty fish. I, I have no judgment because <laughs> I don't eat any fish. So I, I have no, uh, no <laughs> horse in the race. I just, yeah. you know, find it interesting. Yeah. But, you know, so... Working with Walton or Earl, you know, I was running the till and doing all that stuff. I learned how to swear like a drunken sailor that <laughs> year. Yeah. And by F-14. the way, we have the explicit logo on the podcast. So if some of those That's things. fucking right. Yeah, there you go. If some of those slip out, you're more than welcome the, to. The so. F word was said quite a bit that, that summer. <laughs> Any so. default to the F word. I did. I did. Uh, you freaking cool. right. Yeah. yeah, yeah there, you go, there you go. There you go. Um, but anyway, it was, it was just a really cool experience. In the end, looking back... Um, of just the characters that were in my life for that summer. Um, probably stayed out of some trouble, probably learned some other trouble being there. But, uh, but that was really interesting. And then, interesting. And then, um, you know, on with that story, um, Trudy, I said we've been married for 26 years. So her, the first time I remember her as my girlfriend was second grade. And <laughs> I, uh, I, got, I got in a little bit of trouble on the bus ride between Elysian and Waterville. I got dared and uh, pulled the pants down in the middle of the bus and had the Superman underwear on. Do you sell those at J-Long? We don't, but now we're going to. Yeah, yeah. We're going to get requests now. Right, left exactly. And right, so. Exactly. So anyway. Um, and that's what sold her. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although she went away for a while after that. But uh, bus, bus slams on the brakes, pulls over, comes back. By then, of course, pants are up, right? Up against the window a couple times, which I deserved for what I did. And uh, takes me to the office. My punishment was sitting in the front seat the rest of the year because you had to drive to, from Waterville to Elysian every day back and forth to go to second grade. And I remember forcing Trudy to sit next to me as my girlfriend on that bus. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Then we went to junior prom together, senior prom together, and we've been together, you know, together ever since. So 26 years, you said? Yep, we've been married for 26 years. 26 yeah. years. Yeah. How far back does the relationship date? Do you keep, keep track of that? For you know, I don't. Standpoint? Trudy might have that date somewhere, yeah. but yeah, I mean, you go back. We got married at, uh, we must have been 22, so you go back to 16 in that neighborhood, you know, it's been, we've been together for quite, quite a while. Yeah. I overmarried. I always tell everybody that. So I, I did get lucky on that on that part for sure. Yeah. Well, that's sweet. And kids, you mentioned. Um, how many kids you guys got? Yeah, so Ages? we have two. So Kendra is 22, and she okay. works for Allianz in the city. She graduated from the University of Minnesota two years ago and uh, has a serious relationship up there, and she's doing really well. She's in sales too. She tried to be in fashion, by the way. Uh, or I shouldn't say that. She wanted to be. I told you she worked at Free People for, yeah. for quite a while. And she tried to get to the corporate office and it was right after COVID and just things weren't opened up for her. And then, um, you know, only God knows why all things are meant to be. And um, she wanted to be introduced to somebody at Allianz that she had met. And we do some business with them. I made an introduction and she interviewed with two, three sets of people and took the job. And she's definitely earned it. She's doing really, really, really well. And then our son, Corbin, uh, Corbin is 18, and he just went down to Mason City, Iowa, to North Iowa Area Community College for a two-on-die. So he's going to get a two-year degree in that. And Corbin, we adopted from Guatemala, and he came home when he was 16 months old. So that's, that's been a really cool, cool experience as well. What's the story there? <clears throat> yeah, um, hard to conceive to begin with um, when we had Kendra. 
and, uh, and, you know, by God's grace had Kendra and then wanted to have a second child. And we've, you know, it's interesting. People say, Oh, you know, thank God you, you know, you adopted Corbin, look at his life. And it's like, no, no, look at my life. Like he's been such a blessing to us. I was, we were selfish. We wanted to have another child and didn't know if we could conceive or not. And so it's kind of a, kind of a fun story. Trudy grew up with street rods with their dad and going to these car shows on the weekends. That was kind of their thing. And um, we had gotten a spot in life where we had Kendra, had talked about another child and things. It wasn't overly serious. And um, we drove to Northfield from Wasika. We were living in Wasika and um, went to look at the street rod. And I think it was like 10, 12,000 bucks, you know. And um, I was going to make an offer and, and she was like, you know, Brad, let's just talk about it. And I said, okay because I've learned to listen to her because she is smarter than me. And, um, and so we left. And on that drive home between Northfield and Faribault, she's like, I just feel like we're being led down a different road. And I said, you're right. And we decided that we were going to adopt on that 10-mile journey back, back home, you know, back to Faribault. And so we went through Children's Home Society in the cities. And um, uh, you kind of go through all these classes and stuff. It's super emotional as you go through it. You never... Until you've been there, you never look at it from the lens of the mother that gave the child up for adoption, and they bring in women that gave up their children for adoption, and it's just moving, you know, on how much they loved them, knew they couldn't take care of them. Not in every situation. We know there's always something. Um, but we know we wanted to go international. We didn't care if it was a boy or girl, but we, th- we decided on Guatemala. We said whatever God has in store. Um, knew it was probably going to be a boy, and, you know, 30 days after we finally, after he was born, we got the referral. So we're about six months in. And then they would, they said it would take six to nine months and it took us 16 months. There were some complications, getting paperwork and different things done, you know? So we went down and saw him on his first birthday and spent four days with them at a Marriott in Guatemala city. And then handed them back to the attorney whose mother was the foster parent. We'd get pictures every month and updates and stuff to here's this beautiful kid and hopefully we can come back. That was November, and then we came back March, and were able to adopt him and brought Kendra with and went through all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, just an amazing blessing. And, you know, people that, people that have children or have adopted children, like, you know, you love one more or the other. It's like they're your children. You know, I love them both unconditionally. doesn't matter that he was born in a different country, you know, so it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's a very special story, and I think it's uh, we've had this in other episodes where we've talked to uh, husbands or wives and, and talked about their difficulties with conception. And um, first of all, it's just, you know, we don't really talk about it a lot as a society, so I think it's good that it, it seems to keep coming up on the podcast. I think it's good that we talk about it, number one, and, and do that we've got people that are willing to and have great uh outcomes from it because not everyone does have great outcomes right not everyone decides to take that step and go beyond um you know trying to do it themselves and actually go through the the process of adoption um did you have uh, another thing you wanted to add on to that how long if you don't mind me asking brad how long did you and trudy struggle uh before you decided on that i would say probably a couple years before before we conceived kendra Okay. And then, you know, they're four years apart. So two or three more years after that. Yeah. yeah. And then we're just like, you know what, this is God's plan. And, and, um, we just felt that that's, that's the route that we wanted to go. Yeah. And we've been able to mentor other young parents as they consider their options, you know, if it's in vitro and to each their own, whatever they want to do, you know? Yeah. Um, 
but it's just been a, it's been a beautiful story for us. And then, you know, the other thing is, is, you know, Corbin and I wish I had his skin. He's, you know, he's got that nice, beautiful brown skin. And, um, but you kind of wonder, you know, here he's walking around with Trudy and me and Kendra, this this, you know, blue eyed, blonde haired little girl, like what are, you know, and Southern Minnesota has been great. You know, Wasika has been great, the schools, all that kind of things. Like what I can tell you today, honestly, I don't remember an issue that we had from a race standpoint. Maybe that's where finally at it in, in this day and age. But just, and maybe it's because people know who we are around town and things like that too. I don't know, maybe we were lucky, but it's been, it's been a really cool journey. Yeah, maybe I'm, I'm naive to it, but I, I like to think or I like to hope that that's where we are. It's just that more of the racism that we hear or see is, is media propagated than it is yeah. every day like it used to be. But, yeah. um, you, know, you know, growing up in Waterville, 1992 graduate, there's my age for you, 49. But, um, you know, we had one black gal in our class in all of school that I can remember. I don't remember any other races in our school. And I know that looks different today, even in Waterville. It's just sure. society has changed a little bit in that. So that that's a very positive thing. I'm going to ask a question. I'm going to use a term that's going to cheapen the process. But it's, you know, you, you go through the adoption process and some people think about adoption like shopping for a kid right Mm -hmm. you have some options some latitude how did you go through that process you said that you weren't super concerned about boy or girl you did pick guatemala Mm -hmm. Um, was there a reason behind that particular pick i'll I'll tell you what so if trudy was sitting here today she would tell you it was harder to adopt than to have kendra right to to give birth to kendra it was just there, there's a spot in the adoption where you kind of have to go t- through a checklist, Wes, on um, what you're willing to accept or not accept. And, you know, we just kind of left that open and just, again, back to whatever's meant to be. But you feel like, how, who am I to determine this, right? If this, is a, if this was supposed to happen, then why am I trying to get in front and kind of control this narrative, you know? Right. Same, same thing with is that we knew we wanted to go international. I think the reason was Trudy had a had a relative in her um, family that was adopted from Korea. And I think that that was kind of always, and she used to tell apparently her mom, she's going to have two kids. One was going to come off a plane someday. And that's exactly what happened, mm-hmm. which is kind of crazy. Um, but that playing God part, when you like it, you know, if they have a cleft lip or something with their leg or, you know, different things that are going on, that, that part is really tough and emotional to go through. And, and, and listening to the parent's story, the mother's story, like I said earlier, is really difficult too. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine so, you know, um, because obviously, like you said, it's not every scenario. Sometimes there's drugs involved and alcohol abuse and things and parents aren't capable. Um, but to have somebody who's young was, it was the mother young and just wasn't at a point in life to be able to take care of. Don't really know that, but I'll just say generally speaking, um, because of, poverty and things like that in Guatemala yeah. and, and being Catholic and not having abortions and things like oh, that. Sure. Sometimes the, the, the stereotype would be having kids that you just can't feed and, uh, and wanting the best for them. And right. so don't really know much of that backstory, Aaron, but, but uh, that's generally speaking where, where things would be. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, uh, I think it's great. And I think uh, you going through a little bit, not to, um, steal the story by any means we also had fertility struggles and obviously we've talked about that on here uh, for three and a half years for with our son uh took a long time to get uh him remy here with us and then thankfully um 
on the second time around, Molly's body was just kind of like, oh, that's how, <laughs> that's how we do it. And then um, just not too long after that, you know, 19 months different, Stella came, my daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, blessing. Amen. She, thank you. Yeah, she's uh, 18 months old. Uh, my son is a little over three. Um, being that it sounds like you got um, Corbin about 16 months old. Yeah, he came home at 16 months. At 16 yep. months. Yeah, got a referral in his picture at 30 days. Okay. So that must have been an interesting process to the waiting game, especially after you met him at a year and then you had to wait another four mm-hmm. months. That How was that four-month period you happen to remember? It's really Just interesting. We used to send down clothes. So we'd send down like a, some stuffed animals or something and clothes. And he was in a beautiful home. So our attorney's mother was his foster mom and he was the only baby there. So he was loved and taken care of immensely. But you'd get, you'd send clothes and then maybe the next 30 days you'd get pictures and kind of weight and height and stuff like that. And he's got the twins outfit on. I remember that twins outfit, (laughs) you know? Um, And you're like, that's that's our boy and so on and so forth. But when he turned one, they advised us not to go down because they just don't know if, like, don't go get attached if this doesn't work. And so Trudy and I, you know, we didn't spend a bunch of time on it because we're like, again, if we can go love this kid for his first year of his life and make his first birthday great. And if God's got different plans, he has different plans. And so we're going to go. And so against their wishes, we, we went and, uh, and thank God it all worked out. I remember coming home and our daughter Kendra was probably four ish and just threw a fit. She was so mad that we got to spend time with their baby brother and she wasn't there. So there was no chance if we were going back that she wasn't going to (laughs) come with on the follow up. But yeah, it was, um, uh, daily, I mean, you're having meetings with clients and different things, but daily you're thinking about what's going on and where are we at and when's this going to get approved and all those things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's awesome. 18 and 22. Yes. Congratulations yeah. on early so, empty nester. There like, you go. I'm like two weeks in. How are you feeling about that? I'm doing better than my wife is. Yeah. And I can't figure out if it's because she's got to stare in my eyes or because the kids are gone. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't know what, what the deal is, but um, it, it'll be fine. I, um, Corbin was just home this weekend, and you know he left yesterday, in fact, and went back and was looking forward to going back. And he went to Applebee's one night with some other friends that he met already. And he's in his tool and die class with 7.30 to 11.30 every day structure and same teacher, same 10, 12 guys in there. And so he's going to meet these people and he has a routine and that kind of thing. And now he's met some people in the dorm and they have athletics and stuff like that. So he's going to excel because he's happy. I think Trudy's much more happier and you know, we, we're best friends and we love to travel and stuff together, but yeah, it, it hit her harder than me. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be an interesting scenario. Again, I'm on the opposite side of the spectrum, so someday I will be staring down uh, that same scenario and going, do we still love each other? <laughs> I love you, Molly. Yeah. We will. I'm sure we will. So, You I know, I, I, always tell, I always tell young parents to think about, and this was told to me, I didn't make this up. You need to, and Wes, do you have children? No. We, you need to start considering how many summers you have left with those children. So if you have a three-year-old, you have 15 more summers right. left and you start counting it by the summers and you're like, holy shit. Yep. I got two summers left. You know, I don't, I don't have any more summers with my daughter. She's out and doing well. Corbin has to be in school until the, you know, until August. He has one month off next year. So I have one month next year with him. And then I don't know if I have another summer with him. So 
Yeah, I mean, count, count those summers, they're, they're blessings. Yep, it def, definitely puts things in perspective for sure when you do that mm-hmm. and makes you a little sad. So <laughs> <laughs> make the most of them, right? Right. A lot of cool backstory. Obviously, I, I had down on my list uh, the Wilmus Fish Market. I thought that was pretty cool. I did not know Waterville was the bulldog our bullhead capital of the world. I think that's, that's super interesting. Uh-huh. And um, similarities to myself growing up and, and being on job sites, ripping off old hot shingles, stepping on rusty nails and all that, just learning the value of work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know in our episode number one, listen to it if you haven't, but uh, it, it goes over Wes's history and my history, which is pretty cool and how we, how we got into, uh, you know, where we are now and what gave us the, the early blocks yeah. um, building. So, Let's get into a little bit more of college. Should go there, Wes. Can I, can I just jump back to Wes? Very yeah. early on in the story, you yeah. you talked about the accident with your dad. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, you know, two years old. I don't remember much of anything at all. I don't from when I was two years old. That's a particularly traumatic event. I don't know if there's any memory for you. There, there, there's no memory, but I do remember, like I said, being four years old and being in the courthouse for some reason. The judge asking me, probably because it was just so out there you want him to be your dad? And yes. You know, and yeah. of course here we are, whatever, 40, 44 years later, 45 years later. And he's my dad, you know, yeah. so it was, a, it was a damn good decision on my part. Um, so I don't remember the tragedy part of that. I, I had a very good upbringing. And one of the things that we didn't talk about yet is that after the fish market, so my dad had a plumbing business and Connor's plumbing and heating in, in uh, Wasika in Wasika. And, um, and that's where I worked those next summer. So I, you know, I, I had a bunch of interesting, dirty jobs at that point. <laughs> and, uh, you and can you, say it. Yeah. Shitty, shitty job. jobs. There we got we Mike Rowe on the wall right over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that guy. I love his podcast too. Oh, yeah. Um, but I, I used to tell mom and dad at the dinner table that, that this sucks and someday I'm going to wear a suit to work. Now there's some days I wish I could put the overalls <laughs> back on, you know. But, uh, but that value, the, the work ethic value, you know, that you talked about, Aaron, those, those values, when you see your mom and dad get up and go to work every day, or one of them, and, and, and just work their ass off, like, th- those things get instilled at you. And, you know, I'll, I'll take somebody that grew up on a farm all day long to work for me in financial planning services. Yep. I'll take them because they're going to work hard. They're going to get knocked down and get back up again. Or somebody that's been in athletics and had to achieve in athletics, you know, um, just, just it's that instillment that you had growing up. So let's talk a little bit more about the Connors plumbing side of things. What was, uh, that was started when you were a kid? Yeah. So no, 1949, grandpa started, grandpa, grandpa, Bob Connor started Connors plumbing and heating in Waterville. And so my dad graduated, um, in 1965 from Waterville. My dad is in his senior yearbook. My mom's in fourth grade, which is a little pretty interesting. Wow. Yeah. Of course they didn't know each other back then. <laughs> um, but anyway, he moved it to Wasika and, you know, ups and downs struggles along the way kind of thing. It's a, it's a really good firm at this point. My aunt owns it. My dad's the oldest of nine and Peggy that owns it is the youngest of nine. So quite a bit of age, age differential there. And then once my brother, I, so I have one sibling, Corey, and he's five years younger than me. Once he graduated and wanted to be in the plumbing business, then he and my dad started CNC plumbing. And, uh, and they, they coexist and everybody seems to be fine and, you know, those kind of things. It's, sometimes it can be a little messy in family business type stuff. But, um, but Corey wanted to be in a business and I didn't, didn't want to be in a business. But Grandpa started in 1949. They used to have backhoes and 
all this heavy equipment and think things like that. And then they really, really focused on plumbing and heating and residential, some commercial, but mostly residential. And so, I mean, my first day on the job, I was in Janesville and they had an old bus that, that bent sheet metal. And I remember going over with grandpa and ripping out this old furnace for the day. And then him coming down and taking like four measurements and leaving for like an hour and 15 minutes while I'm ripping stuff. He's just take this out. And I'm just demolishing stuff, getting rid of it, you know? And uh, he comes back and he has this piece of tin that fits on the ductwork like a glove. I mean, he did like four measurements and comes back and just boom. And it was just, it was so cool to That's see a as, a, as a young grandson. It was so cool to see him do that piece of it. And then, you know, getting the work alongside my dad, you know, for those summers and things like that was pretty cool too. Can you remember a particularly uh, disgusting job that you had? Along yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, it was septics mm. and, uh, and it was a sewer backup inside of a cabin Oof. on, on uh, one of the lakes in town. And we had hip boots on down there trying, trying <laughs> to, trying to feed the snake in into the drain in order to get it and there's stuff floating and it's yeah it's it's pretty nasty that might have been the day i came home showered and said i'm done with this shit oh, I'm, yeah. I'm wearing Literally. i'm wearing a suit and tie i'm out oh, <laughs> i'm glad you asked because i was gonna ask him the same question <laughs> yeah there's got to be something you're well, in my but, area. but i will tell you there's a science um and an art to those people that do plumbing mm-hmm. and heating when when you take a look at go in your basement and you take a look at the how the pipes are fit together or if they're if they're soldered together or if it's plastic and they're they're put together that way or the duct work for your venting like those people are specialists on what they do and i have a bunch of respect for them. my dad's one of the smartest guys i know and he's been in plumbing and heating all his life like he just gets it and uh and it, that part's pretty cool yeah, no, it's it's definitely a talent. My uh, my grandpa was in the plumbing business. At first he was, um, I, f- I forget the order, so dad's going to correct me after he listens <laughs> to this episode. I think he was in actual plumbing work first, and then he moved into sales, and he sold uh, a lot of tools. He actually had his own tool business that he sold uh, plumbing tools through okay. and parts and other, other pieces, but... Um, he he tried to he taught my dad a little bit on the plumbing side. Somehow my dad walked away with more electrical experience. Sure. But sure. it's always fun for me because I'm not handy at all. <laughs> I'm the guy that hires out just about yeah. anything and everything because I know that I can sit there and spend three, four, five hours trying to figure it out. Probably still won't do it quite right. Yeah. And then end up calling someone at the end of it. And so I just skip all those steps. <laughs> right. And just call someone. So I'm keeping the Connors plumbing and, and those types uh-huh. of folks in business. I'm today, sim- I'm similar to my dad. My dad sat me down, probably 18 years old. I'm hooking up. I had to spread a GT and I'm hooking up speaker system and stuff. And I blew like an amplifier. And he's like, do you know how many damn toilets I fix where people screw up? He's like, would you just do what you're good at and hire somebody else to do the other stuff? And I'm like, okay, dad. And I've never forgot that lesson. Mm -hmm. So there's a book out there from one of my mentors called Who Not How. Mm. And, uh, and, and he's talking about entrepreneurs need to find more, uh, who's in their life. It's, it used to be think this idea up and then figure out how to do it. Now it's think up the idea and find a who that you can insert. That's going to help you get it done. And so, yeah, who to mow the yard, who to clean the house, who to, you know, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Well, it it makes me think of when we had Tasha O'Hara on the podcast, um, a while back. And she said that, uh, her late brother, Pat, if you ever met, um, Pat Pearson, great guy. He passed away a few years back in a motorcycle accident, unfortunately. I did. Yeah, I did meet Pat. But Pat used to tell Tasha, he, he said, 
stop doing the $5 jobs. You're better than that. Or mm-hmm. you're, you know, you're worth more. Essentially hire those out, delegate those out. You have a bigger vision. You're running this place. Stop doing the $5 jobs. Um, so I hundred percent, it's not exactly what you said, but I resonate mm-hmm. with that too. And, and I'm kind of the same way, Wes. I used to attempt more things and, but I'd be running back to the, to, to Menards or wherever and buying more parts and screwing it up. And then I'm pissed yeah. and frustrated. And I missed, you know, six hours that day with spending time with family or, or loved right. ones. And so it's like, hire it out and just get it done once. It's going to cost a little bit more, but it's going to be done right. right. Especially when it comes to plumbing yeah. <laughs> or electrical, you really don't, or gas, you don't really want to mess that up. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. don't. Nope. I mean, I love physical work. Like one of the, one of the favorite things to do in the winter time is to go out and cut wood. But sure. I can't screw that up. I can right. get hurt, so I got to be careful. Chop but your foot off. Yeah. yeah, but it's physical work, and I like that. I'm not scared of that part. But the technical side of it, I just don't have. You know, everything I use for a for a saw is a sawzall. You know, it's got a long blade on it. It's like that. That's how I grew up yep. as as a plumber's son. We didn't have all these fancy saws around. You just grab that and get it done. But yeah, so I can do some things, but I, I, I'm not very damn good at it either. Yeah. It makes me think of also, uh, I have a snowblower. It's a nice one, but I choose a lot of times to just go out. Well, two reasons, I'll, I'll admit here. Um, <laughs> I choose a lot of times to go and just shovel my driveway instead of actually use the uh, snowblower just for the workout and get a little bit of a, you know, sweat equity there. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it gets me a break from taking care of two toddlers. So I like that too. <laughs> I'll do you one better. I bought a brand new snowblower that I used maybe three times before I decided to hire out the, <laughs> the driveway works. The deal I'm, was you have, they have to use your snowblower. Right? <laughs> no, no, they come with the plow and now I've got this nice piece of equipment that uh, is yeah. up for sale, folks. By the way, that brings us to the next point. Sponsored if you're in the, by. <laughs> yeah, 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 you're snowblower yeah contact west at <laughs> uh funny yeah. well that's awesome um i was gonna say you know before i kind of jumped ahead a little quicker but college days what, what do you remember about college where did you go uh what did you learn yeah what was, didn't you learn it was so interesting back then <laughs> there just weren't any college visits you just didn't go on them and um i had some friends that were up at normandale community college up in bloomington and um, was a decent athlete, small town. So, you know, all conference in football and wrestling. Uh, well, I played baseball and started, but wasn't very good at that. Um, and anyway, wanted, wanted to play football. And so they played football one year. So I went up and I saw the coach and I'm like, I'm going to go to Normandale. And so that's how, that's how college started. And, um, it was pretty cool because it gave me a group similar to Corbin with his tool and die group. It gave me a group of guys to be with and a couple of them I'm still friends with today um, and started offensive guard up there. And then in the eighth game, I tore my ACL and I'm like, okay, it's time to grow up here after I got through that process and surgery and all that stuff. And, um, and then said goodbye to Normandale. And then I went, I'm like, I'm, I'm not, I'm just not going to do this. So I went to Hennepin technical college in Eden Prairie and got a desktop publishing degree. So if you need some help, you know, some PageMaker, Quark or something like that, <laughs> Wes, I might be able to help you out with that. But, uh, but I also had a good friend of mine that, uh, that was in the insurance business and thought I'd give it a try. I remember talking again, talking to my dad and he's like, listen, what do you got to lose? You know, if you want to try this insurance thing out, what, what do you have to lose? You know, you don't, not married, no kids, you know, obviously Trudy and I were dating. And so, we moved to Rochester not knowing a soul and just, it was kind of cold call and learn how to sell. And 
some investments and some insurance and stuff like that. And that's how I got started in this business. So college was short lived. I got a one year desktop publishing degree. I got my one year in at Normandale and then cut my teeth in the insurance business. What attracted you to the insurance business? You know, if I'm going to be, if I'm be very frank, I think it was financial. Sure. Um, I, I just knew kind of what that ceiling was. I thought at, at with desktop publishing and um, again, kind of that entrepreneurial back to that fish market day and having your own business and things like that was appealing to me. And so yeah, I just decided to jump. And thankfully, I had Trudy because she supported us that first year for right. sure. Um, in, in the business, being down in Rochester, she, she cut hair. She went to uh, City Look. Well, it was, what was it? Cosmetology and Design, I think, in, Wasik- or in Mankato back in the day. And she got her license and then worked at the Apache Mall. And uh, supported us, so yeah, very cool. Well, sales is always a great trajectory when you aren't a hundred percent sure if you're just looking for the dollar sign too. Which uh, I was just consulting a, a college kid earlier today. Every once in a while, we get college students that reach out, and you just talk through the possibilities. And I think sales in general is a great training tool. One because you have to learn about the product and the company that you're working for. You know, at a decent level to understand what you're selling, but two, because you get to do one of the best things in life, which is learn how to, as best as possible, develop relationships. Right. And everyone has a different style as to how they do that. Some people are much better at it. Some people are terrible at it. And of course, those are the ones we don't want to answer the phone call on. But uh, the more you can develop that skill set and also learn to enjoy it and hopefully make it a passion if it isn't already. Right. I just think the, you were talking about ceilings, you know, yeah. there's, there's not a lot of ceiling in that. Right. You know, I, I get a chance to mentor, I go and speak to Mankato state university. I get to speak to their finance club every year and get to mentor them a little bit. And some will latch on and connect on LinkedIn and hit me up for some advice and things along the way. But you know, I, I talk to these kids like like you can be the smartest person in the in the world, but if you can't connect with somebody, if you don't know how to get on their level, make eye contact, and the the social skills, being a financial advisor is a really lonely place too. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you at the end of the day, you're a salesperson, and so it's it's been interesting to see some of these kids that we've had as interns on on trying to get them out of their shell you know i talked to them about walking in a quick trip and and see what mood they're in and get on their mood and make eye contact like all those soft skills and i try to do that with my own kids and on being able to have those soft skills as well but sales is important no matter i mean you absolutely see it in at jay long's and and what you're doing there but it's everywhere right it's it's and you guys you're selling ads and connect and those type of things like you have to have the soft skills have to. It makes me <clears throat> think of a, qu- a quick story today. My uh, best friend of 20 years, Matt Long, and one of the business partners I have at Jay Long's, um, he was at his daughter's school conference today. She's 12, uh, turned 12 in late June, and so we had a, he had a conference this afternoon, came back to the store, and he brought Tenley, his daughter, with him. And I said, Tenley, what's up? She's my goddaughter as well. Uh-huh. I said, How, how'd the conference go? She's like, you know, short answers, of course, at 12. Good. And then she goes, dad made a new friend. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, oh, he was talking to my teacher. And like, you know, they were just, he always just talks to everybody <laughs> like that. But it, it made me laugh. And I said, I said, Tenley, he's making connections. He's a business owner. Mm-hmm. He's in sales. And this is how we make connections in the world. You know, mm-hmm. it's how we make new friends. It's how we learn about people. 
And so she thinks it's weird. She thinks I'm weird. And it, it makes she's not wrong. Well, yeah, she isn't <laughs> wrong. There is a quirky side. But it makes me laugh, too, because hearing Tenley say that about Matt, but also my wife, you know, she is definitely way more introverted than I am. So, and I am Mr. Friendly and making connections all the time because I enjoy it naturally, sure. but also it's part of my job. Yeah. Even before I was an owner, I was in sales. And technically, right. we're all selling ourselves at some point in our lives yeah. all the time. So, you know, Tr- Trudy did hair and she's <laughs> so much more comment from you. <laughs> she's so much more of a, of an extrovert than I am when my wife is. And really? so, yeah, I mean, just can talk to anybody, that kind of thing. She's got those social skills like that too. So I've also learned from her, but you were going to say something. Oh, I was just going to say, I think Tenley earned a, a cheese chilito for having a good coffee. Hey, <laughs> it's your you favorite go, food. Oh, is it? Tenley. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> <fun>. <laughs> uh, well, they are delicious. So she's, she's not wrong by any means. That's right. right. So that is the, the what the finance club or the investment club at MSU? Yeah, that you it, talk it, to. Yeah, yeah, and then we're doing some work with Creighton University right now too, with okay. some technology that other advisors are starting to use. I, you know, when people say, "What do you do, Brad?" It's just you know, I, I like to tell the person that doesn't understand that I'm an entrepreneur in the finance industry because there's just a lot of different tentacles with the book and other things you know right. that, that we're doing. So you said we. Yeah, and I think I say we because I'm that kind of person. I, yeah. I hate it when people call their their team staff. Totally get it. And so it's 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 a group of people for sure. Yeah, yeah. it's not just Brad. Sure. Yeah. Well, I love it. Um, I'm gonna take a, a minute here to do a shout out to our awesome drink sponsor, which is our amazing friends at Chankaska. Hey, there he is. He's raising the glass. Cheers, Cheers. gentlemen. To our good friends at Chankaska Creek Ranch Winery and Distillery. They have been on board with the Get Deep podcast since the beginning. Surely appreciate that belief. Um, I know I talked to Kelsey Long a few weeks ago, and she wanted me to make sure that we talk to our listeners and and uh, tell them, you know, don't forget about your corporate events or your family parties or your holiday parties and such to book out there to let them know sooner than later um, so that you can find a cool space out there at the winery or in the barrel room. Or you can also do the spirit room as well to get those cocktails in you. Um, but so she was saying they book up quick. So start thinking about that stuff, which is kind of crazy to think we're already in early September. Um, but not only that, you know, guys, their product is awesome. So if you haven't experienced everything they have to offer, make sure you not only try their wine, but tonight I know that uh, Wesley is sipping on the straight bourbon. And I believe... Yeah, it's very good. I'm doing the exact same. It's very B- good. BC over here is uh, sipping on both. He's, he's testing out all of them. I have not good. tried. I've not tried the cab yet, but I will. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Uh, so we surely appreciate uh, what they have to offer. And their grounds are beautiful this time of year, too. Only a few more weeks. Eh, about a month, maybe. And the leaves will start changing. So it'll be beautiful out there as well. So check it out. Our friends at Chankaska. We did. Uh, I was going to tell you, we did do a corporate event out there um, several years ago. And it was really cool. We had a busload of people that we brought over and they kind of gave us a tour and things like that. We we're down in the basement. It was really, really cool. Well, and Aaron forgot to plug that in two weeks from now, there's going to be an open house at Chan Casca. He's actually picking up the tab for anyone that wants to Ooh. come out. Yeah, and try. Shut that off. <laughs> cancel, cancel, cancel. Of course, he's just next to the board, so I can't do anything. That's right. So. Thank you, Chan Casca. You guys are, um, it's, it's interesting to do the long format. So uh, Mega Matt and I did um, probably like Greg's champion auto and, and some of those, uh, there was a gal from century 21 and, and, um, the, the museum, things like that, but they were about a half hour format. Sure. 
And I think your longer format in my mind works better because you can get a little bit more deeper into that person and know what they're about and things yeah. like that, you know? So Yeah, there's pros and cons. I think uh, exactly what you listed is the big pro, and it's huge. I mean, it's the difference maker between content that's worth listening to a lot of times because 20 minutes, you feel like you have to get so much in there that you're just giving the sound mm-hmm. bites. You're not mm-hmm. really going any farther than that. But the flip side is, is someone looks at an episode that's two hours, two and a half, maybe even three and a half hours long, and they say... God, am I really interested in the guy that started an engineering company? Right. And the thing is, is once they got into it, they would love it. But yeah. because the the face or the the label or whatever it might be doesn't interest them, they might not click on it because they're daunted by the the time. And don't you think? I mean, Rogan's really helped with that, right? Yeah. Oh, I for mean, sure. To, to be able to have that, I just we were just at a party, a white party of all all sort. I've had one of my Jay Long's white jeans that I picked up over there on sale, nice. by the way. Nice. Um, but uh, someone started talking about the guy that was number one on uh, iTunes, number one in the, uh, for yeah. the, the... Anthony Oliver. Yeah. And he just was on Joe Rogan. He was. And I guess it was really good. But, I mean, so people are listening to that stuff. And oh, yeah. And it's helped, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you look at any of the biggest talk shows in America. You can name anyone that you want. And it is one-tenth of the listenership of what one episode of Joe Rogan gets. Mm-hmm. That's the stats on it. I mean, it's, it's astronomical. He's the biggest platform in the world. Yeah. Although Spotify's hurting Wall Street Journal today. They paid out all this kind of money for Kardashians, Obamas, stuff like that. They've had a they, ton of failed projects. They have, yeah. And I think, but Rogan's not one of them. Well, it, it matters who you bet on, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that, that pays mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the, I don't know how much you actually got into the, the article or pay attention to it, but it was, it's kind of funny to watch the drama of some of the folks that were supposed to do those shows. Um, I read other background articles on, like, The Prince and... and um, Megan, yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> they apparently tried to do the content, and they had a producer that was supposed to help with the process, and they would just like walk away from the show and let the producer like ask the questions, and then they'd have Megan come back in and ask the questions with no guest actually there, so they could dub it over. Really? Like they had this really misconstrued idea of how it was supposed to go, so none of it was authentic, none uh-huh. of it worked, and they ended up scrapping episodes. And it's just funny if you're not really meant for that form of content, it's a tough type it of is. content to be able to pull off. It is, which is actually a good topic to maybe jump into. You got your own podcast, don't you? Yeah. It's yep. not, uh, you're not doing two and a half, three hours though. I'm not doing two and a half. So, you know, one of the concepts that, um, that I subscribe to and, and whether it's, you know, I listened to a lot of Gary V back in the day mm-hmm. and, um, and maybe a little bit less these days. And then, cause there's so much other content that's out there in mega Matt, but it was give, give, give. It used to be, Hey, you know, this is a financial concept. Come see me. I can help you with this. And there's none of that crap anymore. I yeah. just want to give it away. And I think, the longevity in the business and even with other advisors and things helping them now um, there's a ton of advisors that we help now um, and it's just give 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 so from the podcast standpoint for us it was it was just little kind of nuggets so you know give me two minutes about a Roth IRA or give me three minutes on should I buy my house or should I rent or should I lease my car or buy a car just those type of nuggets that we're just trying to and I think we've got I have, you know, 120 videos or so that are out there. Now, we haven't did so well on getting people to be on YouTube and follow them. Pretty good following on Facebook, looking at, you know, kind of who we're reaching and things like that. And we we now have them where we're, they're automatically playing. So, you know, every two to three days, there's a new one that's getting put out. And we just recycle some of those through. And then 
took those and then went to Anchor, I think, mm-hmm. and made them into podcasts. So that's kind of how that piece has worked out for us. I'm going to put you on the spot. Sure. And if it doesn't work, that's fine. And if I don't know, I'll tell you I don't know. Please do. I know yeah. compliance is always a challenge yeah. in our industry. And so it is. I'm going to try and frame this in a way that works well for you. You've done so many episodes. Hopefully, you've got one in your back pocket that fits this. But so that folks that are watching and listening maybe get the opportunity to get a taste for what you do on your show. Yeah. We have so many folks that are listening that are entrepreneurs, business owners, managers, leaders, uh, but especially the ones that are owners. Mm-hmm. What is maybe something that you've got in your back pocket advice-wise that doesn't get you in trouble with compliance yeah, that no. you can throw out there as advice to folks that are owners. You know, actually, compliance has been pretty good. They've gotten better. There's some back-end software now. So if, if I take 10 videos, and they're all three minutes long, and we throw them up on YouTube, and then we're going to put them on Facebook and throw them on Anchor and make the podcast, they now they have some back-end stuff that scrubs that data and that, that they can – we have to pay 50 bucks a month to su- subscribe to this deal. They then, they look for keywords like, did Brad say guarantee? Did he, did he say 12% rate of return? You know, some of those type of things. And then sure. they'll make you pay, pull it down. Knock on wood, I haven't had the, anything pulled down. So my good. compliance has actually been pretty good. But I think from an entrepreneur standpoint, with advertising, um, video, video, video versus words in my mind. I know words count for SEO and different things like that. But I think people would prefer to watch or listen to a podcast then they would prefer to read. And then the second thing I would say is give, give, give. Stop talking about yourself and how smart you are and just give away the information. Teach people what you know. And I think entrepreneurs tend to lean towards not doing that because they're worried that their competition will do what they do. And the funny thing is competition's lazy. They just won't do what they do. And so, you know, back to the book you mentioned that I wrote, like if if an advisor would do the practice the way that book is, they would compete very well with our firm. But they don't because it's a lot of hard work and a lot of stuff that goes to it. So my advice is just be as natural. And then I guess here's the third. I used to sit with the brick wall and a pretty background and all that stuff and and have a conversation about this is financial planning and you do this and you do this and this is how you you win, you know, that kind of thing. And I think the conversation format works much better, which is why Matt's involved in a lot of those. It's like, ask me this question. And then we go. And it's just more appealing to the eye to be able to see people and hands moving and things like that than the stoic kind of commercial in front of people. Approachable. Does that make sense? Yeah. You're appro- it makes you in a person. It makes you approachable, which is which is what people want, human connection, especially when it comes to uncomfortable topics that a lot of people don't understand or very surface level when it comes to investing and, and doing what's right for the future, which I don't think a lot of people always know exactly what is the right steps. Um, I want to touch on your book for a second. Sure. Um, and you can jump in any time here that you want. I did read it. I think it's great. And it put it was, you to sleep. It was it was that <laughs> it was a good amount of pages for me. Yeah. Um, Fish don't clap. You wrote the book. Um, it's a story about a guy named Hal, uh, who worked, did all the right things, uh, got into retirement, and realized. And, and I'll let you fill in the gaps here in a second. Realized after he retired. Uh, as he's sitting out in this fishing boat and, and throwing the line out in the water thinking, man, this is what I've wanted for, been looking forward to this for many, many years, that he wasn't satisfied, that he wasn't fulfilled, um, that his goals and his values didn't necessarily align with how he felt uh, after he retired and hung him up, if you mm-hmm. will. Um, so talk about the book and what was the inspiration to doing it. Uh, I think the story is great, but let's, let's talk about it. 
Yeah, it's uh, it, when I when I talk about this, you're gonna you're gonna visualize somebody in your mind, a relative, a dad, a grandpa, or something like that. Because, you know, guys, I worked in this. I've been in this business for thirty years, and I helped too many people retire, and they shouldn't have. It's my fault, and it wasn't financial. And that's the why I wrote the book. I helped too many people get to the spot where they were so focused on getting the hell out. I just want out of that job. I've been there nine to five. Like I just want out that they haven't thought about what's next. And I saw too many clients be miserable after they retired. They lacked purpose. They weren't retiring to that next phase of life. And so the conversation completely changes now when I have a, when I have somebody that's approaching retirement, retirement's fine. It's not an evil thing, but you have to be mentally prepared to retire. It sounds cool that your phone doesn't ring anymore and you don't have any more emails. The guy that wrote the forward for my book, um, I still have the voicemail and, um, I called him and I knew him kind of sure tell he was put with Putnam investments and Don Connolly's his name. And, and I said, I have this manuscript. I'd love for you to write the forward. One, he had a name, so I wanted that name. But I think he had perspective. And, and his, his voicemail was like, Brad, I love what you wrote. He said, I'm in Sarasota, Florida. He grew up in Chicago. He said, in Sarasota, we get the Minneapolis lawyers and Chicago lawyers and things like that that fly down here and they retire. And he said, I see these guys and they get to the golf course and they're drinking too much and their wife starts to get miserable. And then they've got a yacht in, you know, in the harbor and then somebody else has a yacht bigger than them. Then her phone doesn't ring anymore, and then they're on the association board, and they just don't have any purpose, and they're miserable when they retire, and they shouldn't have retired. So I love what you're doing and what you're writing about. So, you know, there, there's the financial aspect of writing the book, but the why behind writing the book was just trying to give, again, give away the information. Um, it wasn't about making a bunch of money and being a New York Times bestseller, because I never put the... I never put the the oomph into like advertising and things like that. I just wanted my story to get out there to hit the right people at the right time. And I have I have other advisors that give it to their clients and they'll come back and say, Brad, my client loved your book and they're not going to retire now because they weren't ready yet. They just because they're 65 society said, turn on your social security and it's time to go. And so, and so that, that's the why behind it. And then I didn't want the, I always tell clients, I didn't want it to be the, I love Brad story. Like I see all these financial books out there and it's like, do this and do this. And I'm smarter than the other advisors. So come see me. I didn't want that. So I wanted it in a story format. And for that, I think it works. Well, I got to say great mission, right? And, and I, I love the approach. I think that that's very smart and strategic. And, um, I think, I know folks that have gone through a very similar version to that. That whole story, though, doesn't explain the name of the book. <laughs> so I got to ask you, yeah. what is that? where does that come from? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's the visual I had in my head. I had a really good friend of mine that's down in, in Franklin, Tennessee, and he was a public speaker and, and a mentor of mine. And he's still working, by the way, so he didn't retire. But he just kind of came to mind as I was visualizing what the story looks like. And, and you know, he's he hits this public speaker it's the age hits the bucket of money like i've helped people retire and financially he's fine he's in this boat and he's supposed to be fulfilled and he's not fulfilled and then he understands the fish aren't clapping like he shouldn't have retired and it's kind of a journey that he goes through as he meets a friend and so um i just again i wanted to be story so people could see themselves in it and then think differently and i've helped relatives retire but i've helped them transition like they'll go part-time my, my own mother just retired, and she had to think it's 70, 
this week that she turns, but just retired. And so that part-time work and things like that, just to kind of transition in that next phase of life instead of just cold turkey. And that's, I just, I've seen people cry sitting across from me saying it's the worst year of our marriage because they retired and he was miserable and then she became miserable and th- those type of things. And so, again, I don't want to say that it's evil. I just want people to think differently before they get there. Like, you guys have a lot of, lot of juice, a lot of, a lot of purpose involved in helping get people's stories out in Mankato and things like that. And, you know, with your, with your Connection magazine and with Jay Long's. And, I mean, you guys have a lot of purpose. Take all that away and have your kids, which is great. And that's your number one purpose. But when they're gone and the house is empty and there's no more purpose anymore, like it's a kind of a lonely deal. And so I just want people to think a little bit differently about it. What do you see as maybe one of the better successes that recurs from people that do actually retire? Do they pick up some sort of hobby that becomes their passion that they then pour themselves into and that kind of takes the place of work, but it's not the same level of stress, but it still gives them a discipline or is it something else? It can be, but not necessarily because golfing doesn't fulfill it either. And fishing every day doesn't fulfill it. I I see two things. One, it's either nonprofits so they get involved and they get they, they help their community out and they're involved with the Mankato Area Foundation and different different organizations and they kind of get involved and help people out. The other thing is I see them do something completely different part-time sure. or they go and consult part-time. And I'm convinced the reason why you see somebody 75 or 80 years old working at Walmart is because they want to, not because they have to. Yeah. Because they wanted that interaction and be around people. So... Um, I, I think it's more part-time work and volunteering than it is a hobby. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. Takeaways on your end, Aaron? Yeah, I, I just enjoyed the book and, and obviously I'm, I'm going to be 38 in, in March. So, um, I just, I just really enjoyed the book. I thought it was a, a cool perspective, even, even at my age being pretty far away from retirement and having to worry about that, um, or really think about it too much. I mean, I, we are investing for it, but sure. it's still a ways off. Yeah. I just thought, okay, that that's a good point. Like, what is the rush? Because a lot of times right now, and I'll, I'll tee you up for the next topic I'm going to sure. ask you about, but, you know, right now it's like, I, again, I have a three-year-old son and a, you know, year-and-a-half-old daughter. I'm more focused on, okay, do we have those 529 plans? Are we funding these? Are we thinking about the next education phases? Thinking about, you know, other pieces more so than the retirement. There's stuff going in there. But um, I, I have a hard time myself... Um, balancing the living for now and being willing to also invest in the future. You know, it's kind of like how Mm -hmm. much money we want to put here in this bucket and how much money we want to put in that bucket. I obviously retirement's important. I want to be able to do that, but I also want to make sure that we're, we're covered in the other areas. So I'm sure that obviously is a daily conversation for you and and clients. Um, So I don't know if you want to touch on that a little bit. Yeah. You know, It's a, it's a catch 22 because you can save every penny in any day, die the, you know, the day before you're going to retire and you can save nothing and live to be 120, you know? So uh, I, I think there's a balance involved with it. What I like to really tell people is to take a look at your goals and fund them. So one of the things, another screw up that I had is I remember back in 08 or 09 and I had a couple, it was their 50th wedding anniversary and they were going to go to, um, Alaska on a cruise for their 50th. And we had talked about it six, nine, 12 months prior. And their money's invested, plenty of money, no issues of running out of money. 08 or 09 hits, market goes down. 
And I remember them sitting across the table from me and the husband just wouldn't take the money out to fund the trip and, and, and go on that 50th anniversary. And I begged him to take it out. Like, you're going to be fine. Like you can take, you know, this $10,000 out of the account that happens to be down 20% right now, but you can take it. You're fine. And he wouldn't do it. And so what I learned, what I learned going through that process is having, having goal-based accounts based upon the needs. And so you're right with your college accounts because that's important to you guys. And it might only be 50% or whatever that is. And you're right with having retirement accounts. But why shouldn't you have a vacation account? Why shouldn't you have a, a, a savings account at a bank that you guys are funding every month that's going to be for your vacation 12 months or 18 months from now? Why shouldn't you have the second car fund or the pontoon fund or the second home fund? So I, I really enjoy helping clients get their head around funding what's important to them, which doesn't always just have to be retirement and the hell to hell with everything else and trying to get their risk associated with the bucket that they want to save. And I think if people would do a better job in general of just funding those future needs that they have and kind of compartmentalize those things, I think it's a lot of fun. And so you know, I have wedding fund sets up. My kids, hopefully they don't listen to this because they don't know that they're set up. But, um, you know, we Kendra. started, we, yeah, exactly. We started when Kendra was 10 years old, but it's just, it's something that we want to help with down the road. And so it's kind of, I remember Trudy saying, geez, I think we might've got the first dress paid for, you know, just different things like that. So I, I commend you on, on having, having your head around, I need to do something just continue to you and your wife to sit down and fund what's important to you guys. And it doesn't just have to be retirement because you might work till you're 75 because you want to, mm-hmm. not because you have to. Right. So let's fund some of those things that are important. You know, I think that's a good point. I, I, it also makes it fun if you're, if you're creating these different savings accounts, right? These buckets, if you will, with your significant other, your partner, it also gives you things to look forward to, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody likes to know that in two weeks they're taking that vacation up North or they're going somewhere. Um, or they've got something in a month or a few months. And, and so I think that also is, I, I chat with my wife about this quite often, having things to look forward to that aren't 30 years from now or 20 years from yep. now or you know, tr- thinking about when you're going to pay off your house or when you're going to retire. I mean, those are so far. It doesn't mean you shouldn't think about them, but they're so far in the future that if that's the only focus is what you're saying, right. you're going to be probably pretty miserable and not live for now. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty good. And, and let's adjust that oh, camera for a second, Wes. It looks like it's Ooh, dipped. It fell. It didn't want to look at Wes and I anymore. That's, that's what you get when you get cheap tripods, folks. <laughs> I just thought maybe it was sick of looking at us, but we'll we'll correct it. You yep. keep going, Brad. You, you didn't get sponsored by somebody to have those tripods. Not did a tripod. You? No. Okay. All right. All right. No. We won't throw them under the bus today. No. No. <laughs> There's no one to throw under the bus there. But as soon as Aaron gets it adjusted maybe it is a good time to talk about a sponsor as long as we got a pause <laughs> exactly <laughs> i think it's probably a good time we were just uh oh we were still good aaron just wanted to make sure we were extra pretty because that's the one that points at us i right. just needed to toot so i wanted to walk over towards brad's direction <laughs> nice. smart move i like it uh but this is a great time to talk about our friends over at Office Space Design here mm. in Mankato. Uh, just before we actually started this podcast, first of all, we were showing Brad what's going to be the eventual new studio space. We Very love cool. 
Thank you. We love this studio, uh, but it's not actually a studio. It's a conference room. So we're excited about expanding into a new studio space. And a part of that expansion is going to be our partnership with Office Space Design. OSD, baby. OSD. And they're going to help us out because we need furniture. But also, they're they're even planning the layout, putting together a mock-up for us. And that was one of the things we were doing right before the show is viewing the first mock-up that we got from OSD. And it's super exciting because they've got a showroom with furniture. They've got catalogs with all kinds of different options. And so we went through, we picked out chairs. We picked out colors for the chairs. We discussed table options. We've got some potential lounge furniture. We're going 2.0 with this. And a big part of it is because of OSD and their sponsorship of us. And so we really appreciate that from a partnership standpoint. And I think it's also important to mention that not only is it OSD, but it's also Denco. Mm -hmm. Everyone uh, in Mankato that has any kind of history here knows about Denco because of its historic nature. But Dane and his team over at OSD have purchased Denco and they're in the process of integrating that into exactly what they do on a day-to-day basis at OSD, which is creating environments that are exciting and fun to work in. And that's one of the things that Denco is really helping out with, because if you don't know what Denco is, it's a lighting company. And so when you're talking about setting a mood, which is one of the things Jones and I do really well. That was your cue, Brad, to turn off the light or (laughs) dim it down. We're going to put dimmers in that studio. You just got the very, very white like voice when you're like, ooh. (laughs) Jordan, you had our podcast, just just chime that little very white in there for us. But uh, OSD is going to really help out with it. Denco is going to be potentially a player in it too. And for those of you that are interested in maybe doing something similar within your working environment, consider OSD and Denco. Yeah. Thank you so much for the sponsorships. You brought you got it. Yeah, lighting is awesome. It's uh, something that uh, it makes a uh, makes everything you know, sets the mood, makes the environment beautiful, and so we're excited about that that new studio. It's gonna be great. We sure are. It's gonna be an investment all around. Speaking of investments, Ooh. the name. I feel yeah. like we just skipped over the the company. Yep. You know the what? name. Not, yeah, you're owned, they're... but you're owned by Apple, right? I mean, yeah, I-Wealth, exactly. Right. So we just uh, <laughs> we're just going through the IP process right now, and I think the iWealth okay. name is locked down. Ah, uh, there you on go. Um, but I always worried about that. I always worried like all of a sudden that, you know, and I'm an Apple junkie with the watch and iPad and blah, blah, blah. But, um, you know, that the name, there's not a big story behind it. I went independent. So I was with a company called Investment Centers of America and wanted to have my own brand so that I had something to build and sell someday or continue to grow someday. And, um, and so it, it just happened and it was probably 15 years ago or so when we started it and incorporated and now we've did all the IP work around it, have a firm, um, out of uh, New York that's working on all that stuff just to protect all the, all Smart. the IP that, that we have. But so that was your idea. It was, I, it was my idea. Correct. Yeah. And you yeah. said you don't have like a, a special story behind how you selected it. I really don't. It's uh, just call it luck, I guess, you know? Yeah. It's uh, I, you know, I've dreamt about, I wealth financial, I wealth tax, I wealth law. I've kind of dreamt about spinning it off of those sure. type of things. We have a private client group we set up during COVID. That's an office up in the cities that, that we're using as well. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been a great, great name. And a lot of people, will be, they'll see our logo and things like, hey, is there an iWealth in on Branson? Is there an iWealth in Denver? And it's like, no, there's not. But maybe someday there will be. So, yeah. <laughs> no, that's yeah. fun. I yeah. like it. Uh, what's the logo? I honestly don't. I don't have a logo. Do you have a logo for it? Yeah, it's just small I with a circle around the I and then capital W and then E-A-L-T-H. It yep. feels like it trends a little younger just given the 
iPhone, mm-hmm. i you know, all yeah. that kind of trends. It's clean. Do you get like a younger, just from like a search internet, st- you know, optimization standpoint, do you seem to get a lot of people that uh, are maybe younger leaning? I I think that there there's kind of uh, there's kind of two schools. So you've got you've got the younger leaning that I think Vanguard and some of these places are great for as they start to accumulate wealth. Um, and then they get to some complicated areas where like, how should I do this? And what about, how do I fund this? And should I pay this off or what should I do? And so then as their wealth accumulates, then they come in. But from a demographic standpoint, we know this from benchmark studies that we tend to work with a little bit younger demographic than our peers do. So I don't know if that has anything to do with either how we market or what it is. Yeah. Yeah, I think the yeah. name plus the podcasting, some of the things you're doing just lends yeah. itself to a slightly younger And You know, I've toyed around with, uh, so your dreams become our goals is our tagline. And we've had that for years. And I threw it out on a whiteboard about two years ago with my leadership team. I'm like, do we need to like clean this up? Do we need to change it? And we, you know, we spent an hour and a half just kind of hashing and looking at taglines and we came right back to your dreams become our goals. And it seems to, seems to work. So, yeah, no, it's, it seems strong. It states the mission within a concise, uh, few words i like it yeah and that's also the name of the podcast by the way i know we didn't mention that we were chatting about the podcast that he does with uh his his associate matt um who has matt has his own his own business too but i like him i like him i actually listened to a couple of them on the way to the podcast tonight because i've listened to him previous to that too um again that's i wealth you can search and find that anywhere from three to eight minutes, you know, podcast. So they're quick nuggets of wisdom, if you will. Uh, One of the ones that I listened to tonight, which uh, I heard before, but it was rolling, was the aspect of money buying happiness. And I think we've kind of, you know, I I think people are starting to realize kind of your mentality and how you feel and how you operate a little bit. But uh, what's your take on that? You've met a lot of wealthy people in your practice. I mean, you have close to $300 million under ass in assets mm-hmm. uh, managed. Um, you've met people from all walks of life, all different socioeconomic levels. So let's yeah. talk about money buying happiness and what that means to you. No way. Doesn't do it. Money will not buy happiness, period. It's, um, it, it's something that's needed. It's so you can take a vacation and go places. But I know a lot of people that are miserable that have all kinds of money. And I'm not just saying clients. I'm involved in some entrepreneurial kind of places where I go to Chicago once a quarter. I've been to Genius Network a couple of times. So anyway, these people feel you just know on the outside, you, you know, by looking at their LinkedIn profile, you know about their website, you know about them being on TV, that they're ultra successful people financially and they're broken. Some of them are very broken and miserable. And so no, um, absolutely not. Money, money will not buy happiness. But it also helps some problems go away. If you have your retirement funded, whenever that day becomes, if you have your college funded for your kids to the level you want, if you have your trip funded to the level you want, it, it can help you have some peace of mind. But, you know, I went through, so you had Denny Dotson on not, not too long ago. Um, about two and a half years ago, just a list over two years ago, I said I was sitting down on our screen in porch at our lake place, um, which we're now building at. And there's a brand new boat at the end of the dock. And my daughter was studying abroad. She was at the University of Minnesota. And I looked at Trudy having a cup of coffee around 4th of July. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm, I can't smile. Like, I'm not happy. And financially, things were going just fine. You know, those things were funded and we were doing well. And 
business was well and the new boat, all that stuff. And, and, and so, you know, I sat down and we, we just talked for a couple hours, like what's going on and things like that. And again, we've been, we've already discovered we're high school sweethearts. We've been together long. She knows him better than anybody. And uh, a couple things came out of that. One was she looked at me and said, Brad, do you need to turn off the news? And she was right. I was, I was a Fox News junkie. Politics weren't going my way. And, uh, and it, was just, it was just driving me batty, listening to the news cycle over and over again. And so as of two years ago, I, uh, I quit. And so today I read the Wall Street Journal for about 10 minutes, and that's it. I don't watch any local news. I just don't get into it. And I don't engage as much with people in politics conversations because it just isn't healthy. I prefer to be like everybody and, you know, agree to disagree and kind of move on. Um, so that was one thing. And the other thing I did is I sat down, Cameron Harold, I met at Genius Network, and he had wrote a book called Double Double. And there's a chapter in there called Vivid Vision. And he talked about sitting down and three years from now, what needs to be true for you to be happy. And so I spent probably, I would say 60 days writing this out. Now I worked and did other things, but I kept on coming back to it on buffer days and things like that and worked on this, this Vivid Vision and, and it was, it was personally and professionally, like what has to happen three years from now when I'm 50, what needs to be true for me to be happy? And, um, and so as I wrote this manifesto, I kind of talked about like, remember Jerry Maguire and mm-hmm. he walks out with the, with the goldfish, you know, it's kind of like my manifesto. And I shared it with my leadership team and, and, uh, shared with them open about this kind of came back from your happiness thing. And, um, and, and and Denny, so back to Denny, so I was meeting with Matt, and I was talking to Matt about Viv and Vision, Sharon, he's like, you know what, you need to talk to Denny, hadn't ever met Denny, and so you had him on your podcast, just an amazing guy, and Matt calls him out of the blue and said, will you meet with Brad, and so we met over in Elysian at the little coffee shop and spent two hours together, and I just shared him, I brought the document and like shared it with him and got some insight with him, and I did that with about a dozen different people and just trying to get myself through whatever funk this was from a happiness. And ultimately, guys, what, I, what I've figured out is there's, so Dan Sullivan is the founder of Strategic Coach, and I've been going for 15 years once a quarter, flying to Chicago. I go next week again to meet with my class. And, um, and he talks about the, he wrote a book called The Gap in the Game. And he said, if you wanted to solve world peace, if that was your goal is world peace, you're never going to be happy because you're never going to get there. You might have peace in Mankato, but if you measure yourself forward to world peace, you're never going to be happy. But if you measure backwards and you look back to where you were three months from now, three years ago, five years ago, that's how you become happy because you look at your progress that, that you've made. And it's called the gap in the gain. And I was deeply in the gap. I had this ideal vision for what I wanted. And I think as an entrepreneur, we need to be able to focus and we need goals out there. You guys want this podcast to grow like we want Jay Long's and we want things to happen. But if you always measure to, you know, 10,000 subscribers instead of looking backwards at when you had three, it, it, it just it's just a different mindset. And so that's what I found out through this. And so I'm about two, a little over two years in the Vivid Vision. A lot of the things that I wrote have come true because I believe in writing it down and, and visualizing those type of things as they kind of work out. So, so anyway, I got really long-winded on can money buy happiness, and it, and it just can, and I'm a perfect image of what I just 
got done displaying. Like it, it wasn't my pocketbook that made me miserable sitting there that morning having coffee and not being able to smile at good shit that was going on in my life. It right. was my head got in the way. And so I think it happens to a lot of business. I think it happens to a lot of people. In fact, I just got done meeting and then I'll be quiet and get to your question. But um, about about six weeks ago, I had a buddy of mine right on uh, where I'm at a study group meeting. We meet twice a year. We've been doing this for 10 years. Other financial advisors, other firms, multi-broker dealer study group, we call it. And um, one of the guys said, what's your happiness score? And we went around the room and my happiness score was six. And one guy was nine and one guy was eight and one guy was seven and a half. Like nobody was in six. And they're like, well, Brad, what's going on with you? And I'm like, I don't know. And this is after all this vivid vision stuff. And so I, you know, I wrote an article on LinkedIn and I put it out there because I just believe in being as transparent as you can. Like the truth will set you free is my favorite saying. It's John 832. And, uh, and I put it out to the world. Like, I don't know. Why is my happiness score six? And so I followed directions. I went and made an appointment with my doctor. I met with him last Monday. And he went through the little quiz you got to take on mental illness or mental health and things like that. And uh, score was great. And he's like, well, it's interesting, Brad, is what you sent me on July 21st to, you know, today and what you scored, like you've, you've proved to me that you have things in place that you can pull yourself out of these things that you're going through. Um, and I would say my happiness score as I sit here tonight is probably seven and a half to eight, you know, but it's just an interesting perspective and, and certainly money, money helps, but it doesn't buy it. Yeah. Harvard did a study, and this sounds super cheesy, but I 100% believe in it. Harvard did a study about happiness, and what they said after it was like a 40-plus, or I'm making that up. I know that it's more than 40 years. I just don't remember the number. But it was a, a very long-term study. It was one of the longest-term studies on happiness. And the results of that was that the five closest relationships in your life determine your happiness greater than any other factor in your life. And I firmly believe that as someone that's really passionate about relationships. I've got wonderful relationships with my family, and I've got a handful of very close friends that I'm, I cherish dearly. Um, but, you know, when it comes to wealth, <laughs> that's, I, I think my greatest measurement of that is the people that I'm able to surround myself with and the time that I'm able, able to spend with them. You, you go back west to some darker times in your past because we all have them I mean mm -hmm. nobody's perfect and you go back and you take a look at who you were hanging with and I tell my kids and Trudy and I talk about like who you hang with is who you become mm -hmm. and if it's the if the if it's the person hanging out in the bar if that what you want to do fine but if it's a person hanging in a bar five nights a week and cussing and swearing and all that other kind of stuff like all of a sudden you become that person. And, and the same thing, my son just started college last week. I'm like, Corbin, who you hang with? Don't forget, like yeah. surround yourself with good people. And I think you're right. I think some happiness does come from who we hang with. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Well, and who's going to be willing to, you know, build you up right when you need it, but also who's willing to put you in check and tell you you're fucking up when you need it too. challenge mm -hmm. you. Exactly. And one of the things I, I've appreciated so much about my best friend, Matt Long uh, in our 20 year, you know, friendship has been the fact that we both have a very open communication line with each other when each other is not being our best selves, right? We can take dips. We can have moments of overstress and with our family life or business or different things, but, and that happens, that's normal. But if we're not, if we're acting out of character, 
you know, for being not our best selves and when we know we're better, we've been really good at keeping each other in check. And I think that's a beautiful thing you said. And you said, Wes, about the people you surround yourself with, who's on your bus, you know, the energy yeah. bus book and all the things that so many authors have wrote about, you know, it is true. Um, and especially if you have goals and visions and aspirations to be a better person and, and to grow businesses with your businesses and your businesses and, and ours and what we're doing. I mean, obviously we're people that aren't <laughs> just going to be fine with with level. We're, we're trying to aspire for bigger and better things. Right. So you need people in your corner to continually push you. Yeah. Tell yeah. you the truth. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And we all need cheerleaders. I mean, Trudy's Tr- my biggest cheerleader, but yeah. she'll also, she'll also equalize me when my head gets too big. Right. You know? And so back to your, back to your buddy with Matt, I mean, you, you need that piece of the equation too. And, you know, so the first person I shared this with, with Trudy, the second person I think was probably my assistant that's been Michelle was for 16 years. And she said to me too, do you need to turn off the news just like Trudy? And I'm like, okay, there's two of them. I need to turn out the goddamn news, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, uh, it's just it, the self-reflection, knowing when you're not at your best self and, and being able to work through those things. Like there's a lot of things through strategic coach that I've been able to gather to be able to help me get through these things, knowing more about myself with my print score and Colby and some of these other Myers-Briggs and some of these things that are out there. I think is really, really important. So you know kind of how you process things and go through it. Um, but And then the other thing is is being vulnerable and being able to have this conversation. I mean, you go back 20 years ago, I wouldn't have told you what I just told you because I thought I had to look a certain way or act a certain way or no one's going to invest with the guy that, that has a happiness score of six, you know? <laughs> um, but it's uh, I don't care how happy you are as long as you're managing my money correctly. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I'm just but it's it's just so important that I think too many people, <clears throat> especially kids these days, hold all that shit inside, and they they're not willing to have a conversation with somebody about it. I just think it's so important to be able to share those things and be be vulnerable. You know. Well, let's talk about breaking patterns, right? I mean, that's something that I believe um, you can resonate with, and I think that again. My wife's a therapist, okay? She's, she's got her, ma- her master's degree in, in social work and got a bunch of letters behind her name I can never remember. Sorry, Molly. Uh, but breaking patterns, cyclical cycles, you know, grandparents, parents, yourself, right? If they're not willing to talk about emotions and feelings, uh, then your dad wasn't able to, perhaps. And, and, and obviously, um, then maybe you aren't able to. You know, there's, there's different emotions to that. So I guess my point of bringing this up is, breaking patterns in being better, right? How did you change that? You know, how do you go about that with an 18 and a 22 year old? Or how have you done that through your life? Trying to tell them, you know, like it's, it's important to talk about how you feel and and figure out what you want and, and be communicative about it. Yeah. You know, for our kids, it was, we just wanted to be the place where they wanted to hang out with their, with their friends. And so we wanted to know, excuse me, who they're going to surround themselves with, like who's in their life, what's going on and be able to have those conversations with them. Um, You know, I I had a very good upbringing, so it wasn't like there was any chains or anything to break there, but um, my world was a lot smaller growing up, you know, our trips and things like that. And, you know, one of the things, and this might be helpful for young parents and in yourself, Aaron too. And, and I don't know if, Trudy and I figured this out, but 
she came home from school at 16 and her mom said, happy birthday, I found you a job. And she worked at Philmart at the convenience store in Waterville all through high school. And it was weeknights and things like that. You know, I ran the fish market at 14. So when we came back to like what, what molded us where, where we got to be, it was working. And so when our kids were old enough to work, they worked, whether it was babysitting or, you know, whether it was out helping my dad do plumbing business or whatever it was, you know, Corbin worked at Pizza Ranch. He worked at Camp Dells this weekend or this summer. It just was, uh, we wanted our kids to have everything. We want them to, you know, they've been in Hawaii, they've been on Jamaica, they've been to Greece that we just went to this summer. Like, we did a lot of cool things, but I want them to look you in the eye and say hi. I want them to respect you and use manners. I want them to get their ass kicked by somebody that's their boss. And so I think that working component helps mold somebody. It's okay to be told no and, and that you're screwing up and get better, you know? And so I, I think those type of values that we're trying to instill in those kids, I think have helped um, to, at this point, to raise some pretty decent kids. Yeah. Mentors. How do you feel about people in mentors? Do you have a mentor yourself or is that kind of part of the coaching group that you're uh, a part of? You said the strategic coach in Chicago, uh, you've been a part of that for a while. I'm sure there's a cost to that. But it seems like you invest highly in making sure that you're investing in being your tip top self and in, in, in as far as mentally personal development, personal development. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Um, as well as, you know, putting yourself around thought leaders and, and such. Um, mentors. Yeah. Do you very, have one? very, very huge. Um, I have several mentors, in fact, and some are in life and some are in business. Um, some are entrepreneurs. You know, there's. There's a couple different groups that I'm involved in um, along the way, but I think having a sounding board or somebody to go to to talk to or just to bounce ideas off are so, so important. Um, you know, coaching is so important to have a coach. And we've all read the books or had the analogies with Tiger Wood had a coach, you know, things like that. Um, when I went and sp- spoke to my doctor last Monday, he said, Brad, I want you to take a look at and I don't, I don't, it, it was something behavioral, something or other, and it was online. And I made a commitment that I'll find somebody and, and it'll be online and have a conversation with them. Like, I'm not scared to open up the book and have a conversation with somebody. Like, somebody's got to be, tell you that you're wrong. And it's okay as an entrepreneur to say, they're telling me I'm wrong. I still think I'm right and still continue to pursue it. And we know all kinds of stories where things have worked out well that way, too. But, um, yeah, I, I can't say enough, whether it's strategic coach or whatever it is, that just happens to work for me. What's really cool about strategic coach is that it's not just on your business, but it's on life too. I went 10 years in this business and never had what they call a free day. And a free day is a 24 hour block of period where you don't talk about work with your spouse. You don't check emails. You don't read about the market. It's completely things are off and it's free. And I went 10 years without a free day and I'd go on vacation, but I'd check emails and I'd bring books to read and magazines to go through and you know, all that kind of stuff. So I was never kind of off. And what's really cool is I've tracked now the last 15 years. So there's free days and there's buffer days where you kind of clean up stuff and then focus days when you're generating revenue. And I've tracked this for 15 years. And they said the number one thing for an entrepreneur is to get away from their business. And everybody's like, what the hell are you talking about? And they're like, you have to get away to rejuvenate. And if you do that, your revenues go up. And guys, I've tracked it. And my revenue, the more time I take off, the more revenue I have. 
It's crazy. And so this year I'll have a, my goal is 140 free days. The optimal that he says is about 150 for an entrepreneur. I've got friends that'll do 180, that'll do 160. I've got a buddy that's only at 90 and we're coaching him to try to get some more free days. And if you think about the people that work for you, so if you got 52 weeks in a year, you got 104 right there just in, just in weekends, right? And then you throw in your 10 holidays, you're at 114. You throw in 20 days of PTO and vacation, you're at 134. So it's not like you're taking 140 and your team is getting 50. You know, they, they have free days as well. And so um, the part with coach for me is I, I know about myself is that I'm a follow through, which means if I'm going to commit to something, I do it. I've, back in 2012, I started an exercise routine, and it's in my notes from 2012 every week that I did this lifting exercise. I don't know if you know this about me, but I used to be 100 pounds heavier, too. After college, I ballooned up, ballooned up and then, you know, took that off. But I'm a routine guy, and so, anyway, sticking with strategic coach has been really important to me, but back to your, your question, mentors are so important. Surround yourself with great people are so important. And, um, you know, the... the Dan talks about freedom of time, freedom of money, freedom of purpose, what's your purpose, and freedom of relationships. And he'll talk about relationships. There's people that we hang with that aren't good for us. It just happens. It's, you know, you show up and at the, to visit with them at a school reunion or whatever it is, you see them uptown and they're just negative and it just, it's not good. And those freedom of relationships are like, I'm done. Moving on. It doesn't mean I don't like you fine but i just need to move on and hang with the right people so i'm far far from perfect i need all kinds of help but i think the self-awareness of what i've been able to do surrounding myself with mentors and coaches has really really helped aaron right well i, I appreciate the openness i really do i think that uh males in general you know everybody but males in general a lot of times struggle with that especially um when you have a business and you're you're putting on the facade like you said you learned that years ago that it wasn't serving you so you change that you know um but uh we all do that we put on these masks and these 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 capes and these mm -hmm. facades to try to prove that we're better than you know we think we are to prove to people that or to show to people that we we look good you know mm -hmm. um but i have always appreciated the transparency and the openness from a lot of our guests on the show so thank you yeah. for for saying that as well. I think mentors have a, a huge place. Mm -hmm. um, Book-wise, so you wrote a book. Mm -hmm. Do you have a book that you would recommend if somebody, uh, you know, wanted to read besides your own, Fish Don't Clap? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> is there one that kind of changed your world or changed your life a little bit that you read and kind of... Well, and that's, I, I don't want to derail that question. Where can people buy the book? Ooh. Yeah, so they can oh. get it on, on Kindle and, and Amazon and you know, Apple all or all those. I'm all over the place. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You just you just find the right who, and they'll yeah. put you all over the place. There so yeah, they, they can find it wherever. I got a copy. I'm willing to sell for three hundred bucks. Yeah. So nice. nice. If you want to message me? Yeah. And for an know. extra thousand, you get a snowblower. <laughs> 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 We're hacking stuff all over the all place. And for an extra hundred, it'll, it'll be signed. Right? Yeah, there you <laughs> go. <laughs> you know, um, way back when, there's so many good books out there, and I'm not a, I'm a really slow reader. Like I need to read every word. Like I know people that skip over words. I can't do it. I'm the same. And but I but I read almost every day, and it's just you know I'm right now I'm I'm reading um, from Bill O'Reilly, Killing the Mob because I just like the way he writes and he's talking about the mob and stuff. And then I got a business book going too, but I would say um, good to great from Jim Collins was really, really cool. 
Um, recently, though, when it comes to entrepreneurs, and I'm in, and again, I'm I'm drinking the Kool Aid with Strategic Coach, but but Dan Sullivan and Ben Hardy have good to, or he has um, uh, the gap in the gain. So we've talked about that tonight. The gap in the gain. The gap G-A-I-N. in the gain. Yeah, the the gap in the gain, and that's the whole concept of looking where that vision is and then measuring backwards. Um, and then they have 10x is easier than 2x. And so I listened to Tom recently that you just had on and, and thinking about his 10x. Like, if you guys think about it, so if you think about Jay Long and you think about your revenues that came in in 2022 and, and you think about 10% growth this year, that's 2x thinking in their, in their mind, okay? So they're just thinking, hey, how do I incrementally grow that growth over time? If you, tr- if you transpose that and say, listen, what's 10 times that number look like? So, you know, we just throw a number out and say, hey, we did a million dollars in revenue. What's $10 million look like? Like, you can't sell another pair of Lululemon pants and get to 10 million, right? Like, you've got to, you have to think differently to go 10 times. And then, and then back into the why, because you can't just go, you just can't go 10 times because it feels good or because it's, it's what you want to do. Like, what's the purpose behind the 10? And what's really been eye-opening from reading this book and going through it, and, I, and both of them I try to read each year, but the, the 10x easier than 2x, it's just a different mindset on how you're going to go 10 times your business versus two times your business. And a lot of entrepreneurs, including myself, get stuck in the 2x thinking. It's just another client at a time and another bring something else on. And so that, that book has been, been really, really inspirational. And he talks about the four freedoms in there and things like that. So, again, I'm drinking a Kool-Aid. I get to get that piece. But they're, they're top of mind. And they're, Dr. Benjamin Hardy does a great job. I've, had, I've met him several times at Strategic Coach and things like that. And what's interesting is Dan basically had these little books. He's publishing a book every quarter. These just like paperback little deals. And he's taken three of those now and he's given them to, to Ben and Ben's interviewing people and Ben gets all the sales from it. But what's happened is he's got people signing up for strategic coach because of the sale of the book. It's that reciprocity thing, like give, 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 and it comes back and it's been, been pretty cool to watch. Yeah. How long has this strategic coaching been around in Chicago? I would, some of the people have been there for 30 years. I, 28 to 30 years. I've been in it for 15 years. So, yeah. He started a lot within the insurance world and financial planners. Maybe maybe they were junkies for having a coach or something like that. But now there's doctors, lawyers, all kinds of different walks of life that are entrepreneurs that are in, in the class. And it's cool. Would you say minus your family, your children, but that is the best investment you've made in your life? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's helped me with my family and children. Like, I wouldn't have wrote my book if it had not been for Coach. I sat down and said, you, you know, so we talked about the, the why I wrote it with helping people with their purpose. You know, I sat down with Trudy, and, and when we wrote the book, um, I had a ghostwriter help me with the book, of course. And so Concepts Mine, Chapter by Chapter is mine, but they helped put my thoughts into words, and then we went through and wordsmithed and went through it and went through it. But it's about $20,000 investment. And I remember walking up to Adrian, my coach, saying, like, is it the right thing to do to spend 20 grand on this book that, that I could take that 20 grand and give it to some nonprofit and help other people and things? And she said, well, you need to sit down and write why five times, why you want to write it. So I want to write the book to help more people. Why do you want to help more people? 
to be better? Why did they want to, you know, the five times deal. And when I got to the end, it wasn't about making a bunch of money. It was just trying to help more people. And I thought, well, if I wrote this book and I could, and I can touch more people's lives with it, then it would make sense to do. And so that's why Trudy and I decided to make the investment, but it wasn't about, Hey, we're going to write a bestseller and take the $20,000 and 10 times that revenue from it. Now, we have a workshop built from it. Other advisors are starting to use the workshop and maybe there's a sale somewhere down the road and it does become 10 times from that standpoint from another business model. Right. But um, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, and you could, you know, think about all the people that read the book that are touched and decide to donate even way more money to nonprofits, the people that read the book. So technically sure. your people are giving back all the time. Right. It's a beautiful right. thing. Yeah. I love it. Wes? I've got a couple of uh, kind of touchback type questions. You talked about routines helping you with your weight loss piece. Uh, I, it's interesting sometimes to hear people's routines. Sometimes they're exactly what you expect. Sometimes they're a little different. What's yeah. yours? So there's a guy, his name's Harry Pappas. I tried to call the SOB and he never took my call. <laughs> so he, <laughs> he came to, he, I shouldn't call him SOB because he, he changed my life. But so first of all, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a routine follow through guy. And so routines are good for me knowing even if I'm on vacation, like what we're doing tomorrow is really important to me. Trudy's like, well, Hey, whatever, but I need to know kind of thing. Sure. But I went to this conference and, uh, and, and Kendra was born and was probably two, three years old. And, and what would happen is I'd get up at seven o'clock in the morning, be to work at eight and, uh, work, come home. I was, you know, I'd have a six pack, a Mountain Dew a day, I'd go to Dairy Queen a couple times a week and get my blizzard. Like, I just wasn't eating right. And so I went from high school playing football at 176, wrestled at 160, played college football at 205, and I went to 295. And then we got married, and then we had Kendra, and it's like, something's got to give here. And I happened to be sitting in the audience, and Harry was there to sell a wow program. So how do you wow your best clients so they refer other clients to you? So you had all this jargon put together and floppy disks that you took home and <laughs> letters and shit like Back that. In the day of floppy but he, disks. but he talked about his routine and that's what caught me. Wes. So, so today I still follow my routine, which is similar to his routine. And so, um, of course gave up the Mountain Dew of course gave up going to Dairy Queen all the time. And I over, I always talk about like overweighting stocks in your portfolio. I overweight protein in my meal. Right. So I, I try to cut out the carbs but for me, it was a, I had to change my lifestyle. And so this morning, I was up at 5 a.m. I was on the Cicada Trail riding bike at 6.20 until 7. And so up at 5, grab a cup of coffee, daily devotion. So I spend about 15 minutes in prayer and different things like that. And then get to my desk, check emails. I haven't checked emails at all today. The first time I'll check them will be quarter to 6 tomorrow. I work out about from 6.30 to 7 to 7.15 or so, shower, get to work, and go, go from there. And then when I get home, I try to stay off my work if I can and be present for my wife and my kids. We'll see how that goes with empty nesting. If Trudy doesn't like to look at me anymore, maybe my phone gets pulled out and I look at a couple of emails or something. But for me, it's Monday through Friday up at 5 a.m. And my Apple Watch, knowing I need to get 30 minutes a day, whether it's seven days a week. And if I happen to be out with friends and have too much to drink last night, I still need my 30 minutes of exercise the next day. Like, it's a habit that has to happen 365 no matter where I'm at. So, you know, I was at a 44-inch waist, now at 33 or whatever. So it's just, it's amazing. You, I look back at those pictures and I'm like, oh, my God. But at the time, I knew I was heavy, but I just didn't. 
I'm like, yeah, whatever. You know, it just is what it is, and I'm fine. And so, yeah, complete change of lifestyle. Trudy then changed her lifestyle, her routine. She's lost a lot of weight along the way, too, and looks great. And um, so, anyway, that's, that's kind of my journey. But it had, to be a, it had to be a mind shift for me mm-hmm. and then physically make it happen every day. I'll be up at 5 a.m. tomorrow and same routine. Habits are the best way to develop change. I mean, yep. that's the one thing that's constant, right? Your habits, what you do on a daily basis. So yep. Good or bad, right? <clears throat> exactly. Good or bad. That's yeah. that's what defines your life at the end of the day. Yep. Have you read any of those books like The Atomic Habit or uh, I'm trying to think of another one. I've got one on my desk that I haven't opened yet, but there's a bunch of them. Yeah, there's habits. the 5 a.m. club, I think, and Atomic Habits I have yeah. read and, yep. and things like that, like getting up and... And uh, getting after it. The 5 a.m. club is a fun one because it's very story-based. Uh-huh. I liked that. Yeah, one. exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'm a little bit of a junkie for those books, too. But, uh, you know, you, you talked on politics. We don't try and get too deep into politics for obvious reasons on the show. But I am curious because I'm involved with my Chamber of Commerce. I know you've been involved with your Chamber of Commerce. Yeah. We talk about business. We talk about state politics. I mm-hmm. think that's a little bit different than the federal level, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um and especially given your industry, being in the, the wealth space and, and dealing with individuals that are trying to consider tax implications. First of all, first question is, is Minnesota, what are, what are your thoughts long term? Obviously, you're building a home in Waterville, so yeah. you, you seem to be pretty invested in yeah. staying. It's ugly. But your clients is the second question, mm-hmm. too. So, you know, kind of both both perspectives there. You on a personal level, but then from an industry standpoint, what are you seeing with yeah. other clients? Maybe we'll go back and listen to this podcast when I run for governor someday or something. <laughs> I keep telling Trudy, now that we just moved back to Waterville, we're building our, our house in Waterville where we grew up. And uh, I keep telling her, I'm like, I'm running for mayor in Waterville. And she's like, uh-uh, I'm not being the first lady of Waterville. <laughs> so, 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 so this is my first public saying it, no. Um, it, it, it's ugly. I see clients yearly leave the state for taxes. Yeah. Strictly for, we live in one of the most precious, beautiful states anywhere. And I've had the ability, I've been blessed to travel and go places and stuff like that. Like the Four Seasons, like our lakes, our downtown Minneapolis is beautiful when it's not burning. Like, but it's, it's, it's really ugly right now when you take a look at taxes in, in this state. And, and for, the, for the people running this state to not pay attention to people saving time. If somebody's in, living in Mankato and owns a business, in fact, I just talked to a business owner in Mankato that's doing this. Um, and, and they're making a million dollars profit. If they move to Florida and they can live there or Tennessee or one Texas and they pay no state income tax. You think they can buy a house for a hundred grand a year? They're paying ten percent to the state. Like somebody has to figure out that that we're just paying way too much for what we're getting here. Like how can how can Florida do that and we can't? Like how did they have it figured out? Like why is people going there? And it, what's really sad is that you see, I see this big division between. And you guys probably see it too between these red states and blue states. Like I thought we could kind of all get along and I think we should, but I see this big separation that's kind of happening right now with people in politics and even down into the high school level, they might even know what the hell they're talking about, but there, there's a separation going on. But can we just agree that somebody needs to pay their fair share? And if you make a hundred thousand versus 20,000, you should pay more. Okay. But, 
but this it's just not equally balanced and then and then if people have the right to move out of this state to go somewhere else because they can right. and they can still run their business and take it like why would you why would you call them a coward or any other name other than being smart to take their 100 grand and do something else with it on their million dollars of profit like it's bad it's really it, it, it's challenging being a younger person within the community and seeing so many people that I've always looked up to or admired uh, either exit the game for, through retirement and decide to move or before they've even retired decide to pick up and, and take their ball and play elsewhere because it's just it's not worth the fight. There's no, there's no success. There's no movement on that front. And they know that they're going to be penalized for doing business in the state. And so that's the reason why I bring up the question. It's just as another business owner that knows a lot of folks that have that at least as a thought. And then there's also a lot of people that have actually made the move. I, I've heard it from other folks in your industry time and time again, because folks that take the time to actually have a planner have someone that's helping them walk through those decisions generally are the same folks that are also thinking about, Hey, is this the right place to continue to build, yeah. you know, my portfolio wealth family? You know, there's other considerations in there too, but it, it's challenging being a young person and seeing that happen to a lot of those community stakeholders that you were hoping would still be around and right. still be able to, to kind of help lend a hand to the next generation. And, and nothing needs to be for free. Right. We should pay for the services we have. If this burn building starts on fire, like we want to pay for that fire truck to come here. We should all pay our fair share. Right. But how much is enough? Like it, it used to be seven and then nine, nine. And we're going to go to 12. Like wh when's enough is 90 percent. You tax somebody 90 percent of their income. Is that enough? Like what's that enough number in order to, to serve the underserved population and take care of them, which is what our God said we should do and take care of them. Like, where's that number and fine line? And, and then apparently it's too high because people are leaving. Well, let's even strip the, the income tax out of it and just look at Social Security. I mean, we're what, one of a, a dozen states in the country or so that yep. still taxes Social Security. Yep. And that includes people that are still making below the poverty level income on social security and trying to sustain, but they're paying taxes on it. Right. Right. It's crazy. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense to well, me. Well, let me ask you, Brad, do you have, you've had a lot of thoughts on this and obviously a lot of clients that you, you, you help manage the money, their money for, um, do you have an idea what you would suggest? What would you not to put you on the spot, but what do you think would work? You know, as far as tax structure or what you think would, yeah, I kind of, I you know, it's the mayor of Waterville. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Bullhead. Yeah, please. And, and by the way, we need strong schools too. So I support oh, yeah, schools I know. too. So I know it's tough. So I'm not the I'm not the don't tax, don't spend kind of kind of guy. Right. But um, I I think it I'm kind of a flat tax kind of guy. I I think that there needs to be a number that we all pay. Um, and you can exempt people up to a certain dollar amount, like say it's under forty thousand dollars. You don't pay any, but I just think we all should pay a portion of it. Um, of whatever you make and whatever you bring in. I just think this, I mean, guys, I'll have tax returns on my desk that are, that are just, they're eight inches tall of all these different entities and all these different things. Like just, just tax a small tax on everything that comes in the door, you know, and, and, and let's just eliminate some of these IRS type people and jobs and stuff like that and all pay our fair share. I don't think we were founded years ago where, you know, just that the top 10% pays 60% or 80% of the taxes that are out there. It just doesn't make any sense to me. They should pay more, 
because they make more and they're buying boats and buying yachts and they should pay. But I just, I, I think there's, there's something in there, but this 10% stuff on the top bracket is not winning. Like if, if you look at the people that are leaving this state and I'm not talking billionaires, I'm talking business owners that are making one, two, $3 million a year, which they're wealthy. I get it, but they're leaving and they're leaving their state and they're leaving their loved ones behind. Like I've, I've talked to my own daughter who works at an insurance company saying, maybe you should check out Nashville. There's a company down there. Maybe you should check them out. Maybe I'll have grandkids in Nashville someday and I'll live six months in a day down there. Mm-hmm. Why do people have to, why, why, why is it so different in Minnesota than it is in Nashville? Why do they somehow not tax, but we do like, what do they got figured out? Like, well, and the with hell? them leaving leaves the dollars that they invest in their own communities or what they give back to nonprofits too, you know, and the things that you can't always calculate, um, what leaves with them, right? The investments they make in their community because they'll say, well, shit, you know, we talked about the hundred thousand dollars before. If somebody can hold on to a hundred thousand dollars and invest it in a different area, and that yeah. area wins, you know, yeah. and that's that's a sad situation. Look, look at the business owners, the successful business owners, far more successful than me that you've had on this podcast. Imagine if they're gone. Imagine if they said taxes is my driver. I'm tired. I'm moving out. I'll come back here and visit a couple months a year, but I'm moving out. Their their interaction with the community, their gifts, all that stuff that you've just talked about, Aaron. Like, where does that go? But nobody's looking at that. Well, some of them, I don't want to pick on anyone, but some of them have. And, and they're going and they're living in these other states. And they still have such a passion for Mankato or Minnesota, but probably more so Mankato, that they come back and do things. But that doesn't mean that that's the norm for everybody. But you can look at our own list of people that have been on, and that's been the case for a number of them on the high net worth side of things. It's yeah. it's frustrating. And what's so sad, again, it's just a, it's we live, in a, we live in one of the most amazing places in the world. The fact that we were born and we're in America is one thing. Mm-hmm. We, we already hit the lottery there. But the fact that we're in Minnesota with the values and the people that are just awesome people – and then all of a sudden, you know, you just got people leaving because they're getting taxed to death. Like something's got to give guys. I mean, yeah. either that or we're going to end up with this population that the business owners are elsewhere. But I mean, yeah, we're, yeah it's just a weird deal. Yeah, I, uh, I've always loved Mankato. Uh, I used to think that I wanted to go to like Chicago. That was my dream. <laughs> I, as a matter of fact, I didn't even realize that it was my dream when I got three, four years older than when I had that dream until I went back and read something that I, I was interviewed for. And it said, yeah, I think I want to move to Chicago. Right. Went, oh, wow. There was a small period of time when I thought that. But there's damn good food in Chicago. Well, there is. But yeah, there's I just, love Chicago. we have so much to offer. We do. And uh, I've, I've always loved it. Uh, I've continued to grow to, to be super passionate about the community. It's why I do a lot of the things that I do. I know it's the same thing for Jones. And so that's where that whole conversation comes from. It's not yeah. because I need more dollars at the end of my paycheck so much. I mean, I wouldn't mind it, but um, it's more so just looking at the community as a whole and saying, well, I can see there's an obvious issue here. There's yeah. friction and it's causing tension. It's causing people to leave. It's causing investments to leave. Let's straighten it out. And, and, and Southern and Minnesota is such a small part of it, but I wish folks would listen in the metro area yeah look, look at like um what they did at the mankato area foundation look at the gifts that have been given in the, this town look at i remember coming here to shields as a kid to buy my football spikes in 1992 i mean shields is still here but look at how different this yeah. town looks like like 
what a blessing that we have with the people that are willing to invest and grow and and yeah. take risk. And Jay Long started how many years ago? 1985. Yeah, and here it is. It's still here. Like th- this town is so filled with great people. Let's not let's keep them here. Yeah. You know? Yep, I yeah. agree. 100%. No, it's 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 a big part of this podcast telling those stories and and uh, kind of edifying, you know, our community and, and why it's so great. And obviously, us talking about taxes isn't to bring a negative spin on anything, but it's the reality of our situation. It's the reality of business. It's the reality of, of what we're dealing with and uh, what we have to kind of um, kind of just balance in our lives, right? right? You know, so Wesley, you got any more uh, nuggets over there? Should we get into the... I'll do you. Woo! Brad, you ready? I'm ready. So at the end of the podcast, have another drink. Yeah, Chancaska. Yes, please. <laughs> Put, it on the, Put it on the lazy Susan. There I'll you fill go. you up. Uh, there we go. No, I'll take this. Are you going to do that? <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Well, you got that. Otherwise, that's over there too. We can roll it around you. We'll see you guys tomorrow morning. <laughs> <laughs> no, breakfast. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, so at the end of every podcast, we do something called the wind down. Uh, and it's brought to you by our good friends at Chancaska Creek Ranch Winery and Distillery, baby. So uh, we have five questions we're going to throw at you, and you can answer them however you wish, as long as you want. Do your thing. All right. Ready to roll? Yeah. All right, Brad. Number one, happiest place on earth for you. Family on the boat on Lake Tatanka. Personally, in a woods, hunting. So two of the happiness place. Yeah. Maybe standing with your rifle on a boat with your family <laughs> along the shoreline. Yeah, I'm going on my first elk hunt coming up here in two weeks, so we'll see how that goes. Yeah, I was on Tatanka for the first time not too long ago. It's, yeah, it's not a huge lake, but it's not tiny either. But it's you know. Yeah, it's actually really, and it's a chain of lakes. It's actually a beautiful lake. It it yeah. starts the Mississippi River on okay. on uh, on that finger, and sure. it goes through Morristown and Cannon Lake and whatever. But yeah, we can go you know miles by boat because of the chain that's there, which is pretty cool. It's southern Minnesota, so it turns green at some point. Yeah, but you just go to the other side of the lake and play <laughs> play that day if your spot's green. That's so, what we yeah. did. Do you know Gary Schott? I know that name. Okay, yeah. he's he's on the lake. Okay, and, uh, the SBDC is another one of our sponsors, and and he's one of the consultants for them. But he lives on the lake. Well, too, next time so. you come over, get a hold of me, and I will I'll take you out on the boat. Yeah, my happy spot. Ooh, I like it. Yeah, you got a pontoon. I have a runabout. I have a cobalt. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yep. All right. Question number two: Best investment for any age. Hmm. Can you clarify that? Yeah. Well, so obviously you're in the finance investment uh, industry. Um, I think a lot of people, when they talk investments, go by decades. You know, if you're in your 30s, do this. If you're in your 40s, you should be considering this. But just what's something that you've learned over your 30 years of being in the business you have that you would say never fails? It's just like this is something that's kind of tried and true investment um, for any age. I don't know if that helps you. Does that help you? Yeah. 100% 100% equity, dollar cost average. Every single month, put money into the market and buy equities. Equities outperform bonds, so stocks, 
I don't care if it's an ETF. I don't care if it's a large cap growth, whatever that is. But dollar cost average is the best way to buy. You buy more shares on sales over time by doing it that way. So for any age, that's what I would say is buy equities and dollar cost average. Sure. Keep investing even the markets down trend up and all the time. Just be consistent. Yep. Love it. Question number three, person dead or alive, you'd love to have a coffee or beer with. Um, yeah. Mm. Uh, first person that popped into my head is my grandpa Wilmus that has passed. I uh, would love to have a conversation about politics with that guy right now. Um, and he was probably my first mentor growing up too. So um, I would say him. And then outside of that, it would be, you know, back into some some people that I've never met or something like that. But I'd say Grandpa Wilmus. Okay. When you were you were going on the train of maybe naming somebody else, is there somebody famous or famous in your industry or beyond, maybe an actor uh, that you would love to also sit down with that just kind of like intrigues you? Yeah, I think it, I'm kind of a history buff, so it'd be like an Abraham Lincoln or something like that. Okay. That'd be kind of fun to, to have some Chan Casco wine with. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Uh, question number four. So you mentioned before when you were uh, on a different in, in a different uh, time in your life when you were almost three bills, yeah. lost a bunch of weight, but yeah. you just didn't have the habits right, you know, and everything else. Uh, you mentioned. Dairy Queen in blizzards. Uh-huh. So I had to ask. It was an open category. Favorite ice cream, favorite blizzard that you had at Dairy Queen back in the day? Yeah, Reese's Peanut Butter Cup, hundred <laughs> percent. If I had to cheat tonight, it, that's what I'd go get. Reese's yeah. Peanut Butter, yeah, yep. delicious. Yep, great one. Mr. Buffett, thanks you. Uh huh. <laughs> ah, rest in peace. Rest in peace. Oh, Mr. Buffett. Oh, wrong, Buffett. wrong Buffett. Yeah. We're talking Warren Buffett. <laughs> Warren Buffett oh, owns Dairy Queen. Oh, okay, we're, gotcha. We're, we're, financial, talking, I was, we're, we're financial brothers. We, didn't we catch that, guys. Didn't about. catch that. <laughs> but rest in peace to Jimmy. Yeah. That's true. I mean... It took I, me a second, a, but I got what, what you What meant. a cool empire that he guy built. He opened for the Eagles a couple of years ago at Target Field, and I went. And uh, I remember my father-in-law, like in the summer, like, you want to go? He's a My father-in-law, I would say, is a parrot head. And I'm like, yeah, I'll go. I'm, you know, we'll get two tickets or whatever. And he came back, like, Three weeks later, I said, I got the tickets. I said, good. How much are they? He's like, $400. i am like, are you shitting me? $400? Well, and I said, I said, $200 each. He's like, no, no, $400 a piece. Yeah. And so we went, and we were like 25 rows back, and Jimmy opened for the Eagles, and it was amazing. Yeah. Like, I'm so glad that I went, and now the fact that he's not there. But I know. Yeah, I'm like, are you shitting me? Well, the Eagles bucks. are playing two shows in Minneapolis, and for the nosebleeds, $500. Crazy. Nosebleeds, and you don't get a Jimmy Buffett opening yes. act. You just get the Eagles. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's crazy. So it was a value play then. Yeah. yeah, nuts. Yeah, that guy was great. Created a cool, uh, just a lifestyle brand, island relaxation. They said his net worth was like one about a billion dollars just with all the businesses he created with mm-hmm. cheeseburger. The Margaritaville songs, Resort chain is one of the most successful ones. And I'll say, if folks don't pay too much attention to the Mankato business scene, the landmark building downtown. Um, that's going to be redeveloped by TPG or no TPI hospitality group. And they're opening a Margaritaville down in the Florida area, Fort Myers, Myers, exactly. And so really interesting group because they do a fantastic job with the hotels that they open and they're going to try and do a rooftop bar restaurant concept here in Mankato at that spot right across from the Hyde Bailey Tower. Let's get it done. Maybe a so speakeasy cool. or something. Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> <laughs> They're supposed to be in the basements, though. You, know, yeah. you can't do them on the roof. True, but. true. 
Um, all right, question number five, Brad. Uh, this is one that we repeat um, until I come up with something better, but it's message. You know, uh, we all have a message. You've shared a lot of nuggets of wisdom tonight with us. Appreciate that. Um, but if you want to speak to your two kiddos and not so much kiddos anymore, but 18 and 22, always your kiddos yeah. and Trudy, uh, your wife of many, many years and just all the people who've inspired you, but you've also inspired, what would be the final message if tonight was your last night on this, this earth, Brad? Yeah, I would say, um, be authentic, um, be your authentic self, uh, in everything. So even in your worst days, be your authentic self and, um, and then I'm just a sum of everybody that I've surrounded myself with. And so surround yourself with the right people and you'll be a pretty good sum, hopefully. Yeah. I dig that. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. Cheers. Thanks for coming on the show, Brad. This has been fun getting to know you. I, I think Aaron knew you a little bit better than me, but it's always a pleasure. Um, hopefully you've had a good time. I know you've listened to some episodes. I so. have, yeah. You guys do an awesome good. job. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, I really appreciate your time, Brad. I know you're a busy guy, and, and obviously you value your time, and you really, you know, created, a, you know, kind of delegated when, when you need to have your, your pockets of inspiration and take your time off too. So thanks for, I don't know if we're in the buffer period of your life, you know, tonight. It was a focus day today. This so was a focus it'll day. It'll be a focus day tomorrow too. You squeezed so. us in on one of your focus I days. I did, I did. I love that. So, yeah, thanks again to Brad Connors for joining us tonight. Again, CEO of iWealth as well. Uh, definitely encourage people not only to listen to this podcast because we've got a lot of great people on it, but also to check out the iWealth podcast that Brad and Matt do. Um, again, three to eight minute long videos, nuggets of um, wisdom for investing in life in general. So uh, thank you for tuning in, and we will see you next time. Oh, and also you can buy Fish Can't Clap for $300 from Aaron Jones or on Amazon. <laughs> and get a bonus snowblower. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Have a good night. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs>